ministry of Nelson Ihiago. Be stirred as you listen. Okay, so this teaching has this teaching has um, I can't believe I'm starting like this, but three major objectives, right? Um, the goal of teachings like this is to number one. The goal of teachings like this is to number one. Okay, actually two, to ground you in truth. Praise the Lord. Is this mic not too loud? To ground you in truth. Now, okay, let let me say the second one before I go on. Number one, to ground you in truth. And number two, to help you save those in error. I can put number one one first. And the reason I can put number one first is because um, the reason for this kind of teachings is really to save people who... How do I explain this now? A lot of people are deceived. Please, are you with me? A lot of people are deceived. And because they are deceived, they are ignorantly or innocently in error. Let me put it that way. They are innocently in error. They don't know any better. They don't know any better. If they did, they won't be in the position that they are. And this is why the teaching of God's word is important. You know, Paul basically was teaching us. He said to communicate the truth in love or to communicate the truth because of love it's because we love God's people that we are supposed to teach God's people God's word properly are you with me please please you need to respond to me are you with me because we love God's people we are supposed to respond and communicate the truth of God's word to God's people properly so um And how exactly is this teaching going to ground in truth? Very simple, because there are actually a lot of people who, um, there are a lot of people who, how do I explain this now? Many Christian cults, they deviate from the fundamental truths of the Christian faith. And then for you to defend those fundamental truths of the Christian faith, you must know what you believe. You must be properly grounded in what you believe. Praise the living Jesus. You must be properly grounded in what you believe. If you're not properly grounded in what you believe, it will be very difficult for you to defend um, when they come against it. For example, just before we get into the teachings, um, Jehovah's Witnesses, one of the teachings that they have is that Jesus was a created being. Jesus was a created being. Now, if you can't defend those kind of teachings, um, and the scriptures that they use are on the surface, very convincing. So when they throw those, those scriptures at people, a lot of people can just be like, hmm, he has a point. And you won't know, you know. Um, my man of God went, like a, I've shared this story a couple of times. His wife went to a store to buy something. And then when she went to the store, all right. And then as she went to the store to buy something, 
right? Um, so these guys that came to do evangelism, they came out to do evangelism, and then as they came out to do evangelism, they were like, okay. Um, <laughs> they came out for evangelism, and then they were like, you know, we're going to preach. to told them, I'm going to preach. Was, what she was saying to them, they were already saying she has a point. What that will mean is that the evangelists were being won over. They were being evangelized too. By the end of the teacher. And then she just called him and he came. And you know, from the same John 1, he just had the conversation. He said, the same one that, was, that is God and the same one that was with God, you know, just used simple exegesis. And then by the time he finished it, they were already saying, yes, that's true. You know, and it's, why didn't you say it since? You know, the thing is, as pertains to the body of Christ, we, have, we don't have a lot of people who are properly taught. Are you with me? We don't have a lot of people who are properly trained. We have a lot of people who are half-baked. Permit me to put it that way. And many times, it's not the fault of the pews. It's the fault of the pulpit. Praise the Lord. So, someone, someone said this, and I will never forget. He said, if you want to find the temperature of the church, put the thermometer in the mouth of the pastor. If people cannot endure sound teaching, it's because the pulpits did not train them to endure sound teaching. If people cannot stay and camp around God's word for a while, it's because People did not train, the pulpit did not train them to camp around God's word for that well. Am I making sense, please? All right. So, um, for you to ground them in this, for you to basically defend the truths that these guys pervert, you know, they, and mostly they will pervert these things because they want to, um, they want to say something about their teaching that they want to emphasize. But for you to really defend it, you must know what the word of God says. You must know what the word of God says. Hallelujah. All right, so I'm going to start with this definition. This teaching is, there's a lot to teach, but I promise you, by the end of the teaching, you will know and be grounded in why you believe what you believe. That's number one. Number two, at the end of the teaching, or through the course of the teaching, one thing you need to do is you need to pay Rapt attention. You need to pay rapt attention because many of these guys, they are, they are the definition of indoctrination. Are you, are you guys with me, please? Many of these Christian circles, they are the definition of what? Indoctrination. And when I say indoctrination, what I mean by that is these guys are the definition of these guys are the definition of, how do I explain this now? Of teaching. They have been taught the wrong things consistently that it has formed a stronghold in their mind. In fact, they know the systematic to why they believe what they believe. Let me say something. Jehovah's Witnesses get two things right. Discipleship and evangelism. Are you with me? Are you Jehovah's Witness? Or are you from Christ's embassy? Is one of the two. And it is admirable that all of them say the same things. 
Are you with me? They all say the same things. You know, and that's exactly what Paul said to the church at Corinth. He said that we may all be of one mind. The believer in Birmingham should not say something different to the believer in Kaduna or in Ghana. If it is the same word of God we have, the same testimony of the word of God should be the same. Because what the word never meant, the word can never mean. Please, are you with me? What the word of God never meant, the word of God can never mean. If we don't pay attention to God's word, perversion will be the next thing. Please, are you with me? Many people... Um, their first contact with some contradictory teachings is heresy, is the error. And they didn't know how to defend those things. They didn't know how to defend those things. So, because they didn't know how to defend those things, um, the next thing they could do, because they didn't know how to defend those things, they were taken aback. So imagine the first time somebody is hearing about the deity of Christ. The first time somebody is hearing about the deity of Christ basically means Jesus being God. The first time somebody is hearing about the deity of Christ is from a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness. They've never been taught it. You will stagger. You will stagger. You see, Paul basically told us the reason for the church, Ephesians 4. He said, the reason for the church is for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry that the saints themselves will be able to edify the body of Christ. So when the saints are equipped, the body is what? Edified. Are you with me? When the saints are what? Equipped, the body is what? Edified. Glory to Jesus. So it is important that we pay attention to God's word. The church... Please, please be with me. Please pay attention to me. The church is not a miracle-seeking center. It's important I lay these foundations before we hop into, um, um, you know, what additional last church people believe. It's important we enter these things before we talk about it because the church, of course, we do, we believe in miracles. We can trust the Lord for miracles. But if miracles are all we come to get in church... We have not maximized the gathering of the saints. What the gathering of the saints is for is for teaching. Praise the living Jesus. It's for teaching. Is it not admirable that Jesus, for the 40 days that Jesus was with the disciples, what he primarily did, the Bible tells us that he taught them for 40 days. What someone is going to do towards the end of his life in quotes, are the most important things to that person. Are you with me? They are the most important, they are the most important things to that person. So, um, okay. So let me put it this way. What is a cult? You know, I wrote these definitions first. And, you know, when I, when I put the video on Instagram, a lot of people were like, Ah, uh, this pastor doesn't really like these guys. He's calling them a cult. Now, cult is not exactly a derogatory term. 
It's not. Let me, according to Dr. Charles Brandon, he put it this way. He said, a cult is any religious group which differs significantly in one or more respects as to the belief and practice from religious groups which are regarded as normative expressions of the, cult, of the religion in our total culture. It's too fast, have you? <laughs> Let me say it again. A cult is any religious group which differs significantly in one or more respects as to the belief and practice from religious groups which are regarded as normative expressions of the religion in our total culture. Shall I say it again? Additional, have you got it? You are lying. You are not writing. I don't believe I don't believe you. I don't believe you anyways. A cult is any religious group which differs significantly in one or more respects as to belief and practice from religious groups which are regarded as the normative expressions of the religion in our total culture. Do you have that? Mm -hmm. Another definition, according to Walter Martin, he said, a group of people who gather... (laughs) this." This, this definition is funny. He said the cult is a group of people which gather around someone's misrepresentation of scripture. He's straight to the point and he slaps. <laughs> a group of people who gather around someone's misinterpretation of scripture. And let me say this. Christianity is not liberal. I'm just putting this this my introductions because these things are necessary before we because of course we're gonna do more teachings like this on Mormonism, on Islam eventually. But these foundations are necessary. Christianity is not liberal, it is traditional. The Christian faith is a historic faith. Christianity is over two thousand years old. You know, that's why if you look at Christianity, Christianity has a lot of philosophical depth. There's hardly any question any atheist wants to raise today that has not been considered in over 2,000 years. None. There is no question any atheist wants to raise about the Christian faith today that has not been considered in the Christian faith before. And that is super important. That's something to pay attention. So it means that Christianity did not start today. And that's why people say, the newer the doctrine, the stricter it should be um, scrutinized. So if in a faith of over 2,000 years, you are bringing a teaching that nobody has ever considered before, the problem is not the church, it's you. (laughs) We need to look at it very, and that's, you know, Pastor Tomiwa Emmanuel said something. He said, Christianity is not a free-thinking club. In the Christian faith, you don't do what you like. You don't do you. You know, I put up something today about the talit. Sorry, yesterday, uh, people that use the prayer shawl and the shofar and all those things. And I'm like, you are not a Jew. You are a Christian. You are not from. You are from Arochuku. You are not from Zebulon. <laughs> you are a Christian because you know. I shall put that. I'm going to do another IG live this evening so that people that have questions we can talk about it. But 
Somebody was now saying, allow people to worship God how they like. What if this is how I want to worship God in criticizing it? But that's not even the issue. The issue is this. A lot of people, when they say worship God how you like, you don't know that a God you worship however you like, you have become its God. Should I say that again? A God you worship however you like, you have become its God. You don't worship how you like. If you're going to approach God, you're going to worship God the way God wants to be worshipped. So, again, Christianity is not a free thinking club. You don't do you. You do what the word says. Amen to God. You don't do you. You do what the word of God says. All roads, you know, a couple of people always say things like this. They say things like, all roads lead to God. No. Jesus said, I am the way. And we need to, we need to emulate Jesus' boldness. Because in Jesus' day, I mean, the cultures around had other gods. In fact, in Jesus' day, there was an institutionalized religion. But Jesus came and said, I am the way. So, when a lot of people come and say, why exactly are you criticizing? It's not, it's because, maybe I'll talk about this eventually. But listen, a lot of people may not want to hear this thing I want to say. The average Jehovah's Witness is not saved. Amen. The average Jehovah's Witness is, you are going to hell, ma, sir. You are not saved. And there's a reason for that. Because, I mean, when you don't believe that Jesus is God, amen, when you don't believe that Jesus is God, the Bible says, if basically Jesus was not God, Jesus was a created being, Jesus was another man, his death is not enough to cover for all of us. Those things have very serious, grave, salvific implications. If Jesus is not God, I mean, if I die for something Ayo did, my death can only, my death can only cover for Ayo. I can't. But if I am God, if I'm the eternal lamb, or the lamb from eternity, eh, then my blood can cover for the sins of mankind for eternity. But when you say that Jesus is not God, those things have grave salvific implications. That it automatically becomes another gospel. The New Testament revolves around the fact that God became a man. So when you now begin to taint that, you are, you are attempting salvation. Please, are you with me? You are attempting salvation. So when we do teachings like this, the reason is because it's not just that we hate a group of people. We are trying to save people. And many times, a lot of people don't know these things, right? And because they don't know these things, um, when they come across a Jehovah's Witness, they now say, mm, okay, you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe. No. These are matters that have eternal consequences. Are you with me? Matters that have eternal consequences. You don't just let people do them. You preach the word. So, 
At the end of this teaching, because the Bible lets us understand that the, at the end of Bible teaching or in communicating everything of God, love is at the end. At the end of the teaching, when you know what they have been misconstrued and what the word of God says, when you come across a Jehovah's Witness, compassion will well in your heart. And not just that, there will be knowledge. There will be wisdom to know what to address and how to address it. Because many of these people have been sincerely made wrong. If you study the psychology of Christian cults, usually, what it use of cults generally is isolation. The Jehovah's Witnesses are basically not, they are told not to read materials that can contradict what they know. It's a teaching for them. You are not, and that's why whenever you are, Jehovah's Witnesses come to your house and they want to preach to you and you are arguing with them, they will rather, they will leave. They will leave because it is part of the teaching when somebody is arguing with you so that they don't teach you the ways of perdition. There's a way they put it. You are supposed to walk away. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. This one, everybody is quiet. Praise the Lord. Is the teaching deep like that? Or is it the passion I'm speaking with? Let me show, let me read something for you. This is from one of the Jehovah's Witness materials. It says, rather, rather, we should seek for dependent Bible study rather than for independent Bible study. He said, he does not impart his Holy Spirit and understanding and appreciation of his word apart from his visible organization. What organization? The Watchtower. He said, the Bible is an organizational book and belongs to the Christian congregation as a whole, not to individuals. Regardless of how sincerely they may believe that they can interpret the Bible, for this reason, the Bible cannot be properly understood without Jehovah's visible organization in mind. He said, we all need help to understand the Bible. And we cannot find the scriptural guidance we need outside the faithful and discreet slave organization. He said, they, that's questioners, say that it is sufficient to read the Bible exclusively, either alone or in small groups at home. But strangely, through such Bible reading, they have reverted back to the apostate doctrines that commentaries by Christendom clergy were teaching 100 years ago. So basically, what they are saying is, you shouldn't study your Bible alone. You should study your Bible with the help of their materials like, let God be true. You know, materials like Awake, all those teachings. You have to study it with those ones. You know, Charles Russell, Rutherford, all those materials. But you need to give it to them that you see that study one, then they try. Because they have the same voice on their false theologies. In Acts 5, 38 to 39, you know, um, the Jew. You know what? Let's read it. Let's read it and then I'm going to enter the main teaching for today. Acts 5. 
He said, Gamaliel speaking. He said, and now I say unto you, that's, this is after they told them not to preach. He said, and now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. Lest happily you be found even to fight against God. Now, this, teach, this uh, statement that Gamaliel spoke, a lot of people hold it as the word of God. You know, he said, if it was of God, leave them alone. Let them do what they like. If it's not of God, if you are fighting it, if it's not of God, it will disappear. If it's of God, it will stand the test of time. If this statement was true, this would mean Islam is of God. This would mean Islam is of God. But in the epistles, the apostles teach us something differently. Which is the next subtopic I'll come to before we enter. Because, let me give you, how many of you know Mormons? The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Good. In 1830, they were six. In 1830, they were six. Now, all over the world, there are about seven million. Seven million. Same as Islam. And that's why these teachings are necessary because, you know, in, in American banks that, um, way back, how they used to train tellers, that's people that used to handle cash at the counter, is they just take them somewhere for two weeks and they just have them handle um, original cash, authentic ones. And they have them handle that thing for a bit. And when they handle it for a bit, their training is done. And why that kind of training? So that they don't even need, them, they don't even need to tell them, oh, whenever they handle fake this, fake. But because they have fraternized enough with original cash, when they can handle fake, they know it is fake. Are you with me, please? When they handle fake, they know it is fake. So, and this is why, you know, someone said something. He said, cults are the unpaid bills of the church. It's true. And what he meant by that is he said because many churches don't have a proper evangelical and discipleship structure. And because they don't have that, I mean, many of the, when people meet Christian cults on the road, the first time they came across those verses that those guys said, or the first time they saw those verses was when the cult guys accosted them. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? That was the first time. And it is on, that's, that is not, that's not what Jesus had in mind in building his church. The least of us is supposed to be strong and mighty in scriptures. Praise the living Jesus. The least of us is supposed to be what? Strong and mighty in scriptures. That's God's plan. That's God's plan. So, quickly to my next piece. Why do we... Um, okay, still on time. Why do we then have teachings like this? You know, I touched, I touched about this. I touched on this a little bit. 
Why do we then have teachings like this? 2 Corinthians 11, 2-4. Let's read. Let me not quote this. You know, I, ironically, this was what we did on the community on Sunday. He said, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. This is Paul speaking. I'm, I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy. I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Verse 11. He said, verse, um, verse 3. He said, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Verse 4. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, well, you might well bear with him. Let me read it in another translation. Especially that verse 4. He said, we told you about Jesus, and you received the Holy Spirit, and accepted our message, but you let some people tell you about another Jesus. Now, you are ready to receive another spirit and accept a different message. Paul is basically saying that them accepting another message was them giving into the same subtlety that Eve gave into. Are you with me in this place? Was them giving into the same subtlety that Eve gave into. So Paul is basically alluding or likening false teachings with the deception that the devil gives. Ah, are you here? I know, I know today seems more like a lecture, but you need to respond to me, okay? Hallelujah. So, Paul is using the metaphor here, verse 3. I'm reading it in contemporary English version. He said, but now I fear that you will be tricked, just as Eve was tricked by that lying snake. Go to 2 Corinthians, verse, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. Did I say 4? Okay, yes. He said, let's start from verse 1. Let me read from verse 1. He said, therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He said, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world had done what? blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, he said, For God, who commanded light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul is saying. My emphasis is on that verse 4. Paul said that they are blinded 
Look at it again. He said, in whom the God of this world had what? Blinded. So, they are not just blind. They are what? Blinded. Please, are you with me in this place? They are not just blind. They are what? Blinded. So that they will not see the light of the glorious gospel which is in Christ Jesus. But as soon as they do it, the same way it was at the beginning, the way the light shone at the beginning is the same way light will shine in their hearts. So, hmm. let's read on. 1 Corinthians 12. You know, I, I read this scripture, so I'm just going to run. He said, verse 2. He said, you know, you were, you were Gentiles carried away onto dumb idols even as you were led. Paul speaking about this. Basically, um, he's basically telling us that the unbeliever too is led. Are you here? The unbeliever is led. The same way he, so, so look at what Paul starts from saying. Or the verses we've read so far. The verses we've read so far, Paul starts by saying that, um, um, uh, 2 Corinthians 11. He starts by basically speaking about them being being deceived, the way the serpent deceived Eve. He's basically saying the same thing that he's fearing that those who accept false teaching will, uh, those who accept false teaching is the same way the devil is going to deceive them. You know, then we go to that second Corinthians where he's basically said that the God of this world has blinded them so that they will not see. You come to this first Corinthians where he said that if carried away unto dumb idols even as you were led. Right? I mean, first Timothy 4.1, Paul said that he was talking to Timothy. He said, in the last days, some will give him to seducing spirit. The word seducing there is, not, you know, when you talk about seducing spirit, a lot of people think of a light-skinned girl. But no, the word seducing is planos, which means deception. A deceptive spirit. And the next, the next statement explains it. Doctrines of devils. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. Praise Jesus. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. And then you see all these things. Basically, I read all that because I'm, I'm itching to jump into teaching because time before we know now it's already five basically at the end of all these things one thing that we need to find out or we need to know is simply this so if Paul is saying that as the devil beguiled Eve is the way he's afraid that the devil is going to deceive all these people among the many things he says at the at the root of false teachings and at the root of false doctrines is devils or the workings of the devil. Are you with me? At the root of it is either devils or the workings of the devil. Because by false teaching is the same way Satan will also blind men that they will not see the glorious gospel that is in Christ Jesus. By false teaching is the same way many are going to give in to seducing spirits and giving into doctrines of devils. Please, are you here? By false teaching, is the same way, you know, um, Ephesians 4.14, he basically said that, you know, they, they lie in wait to deceive. Giving in the wiles of the devil in Ephesians 6, 
was in Ephesians 4, the wiles of devil that was lying in wait to deceive. The deception of the devil is really what he wants to communicate. How the devil takes over men is purely by deceiving men. So that's why I used to say that the closer we are to the Bible, the further we are from deception. The closer we are to the word rightly exegeted, the further we are from what? Deception. So, the reason why we are doing teachings like this is because in doing teachings like this, we are waging a warfare against the devil. Oh, hallelujah. In teachings like this, we are waging a warfare against the devil. We are fortifying our minds and ensuring that we also can teach others also. Hallelujah. All right, let us, number one thing we're going to start from, refutation of the watchtower on Trinity. Let's start from that. David. Refutation of the watchtower on the Trinity. Now, let me read a few things that uh, the JW say. Have you got your subtopic down? Guys, when are they done, you? Thank you. The faintest pen lasts longer than the sharpest memory. All right. So, um, all right. So, this is, these are a few things that they say on the Trinity. They say the doctrine in brief is that there are three gods in one. That's wrong. That's not, no Christian scholar says that. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, all, all three equal in power, substance, and eternity. So they wrote this in Let God Be True, Brooklyn Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, 1946 edition, page 100. Another thing they say is the obvious conclusion, therefore, is that Satan is the originator of the Trinity doctrine. Let God be true, page 101. Sincere persons who want to know the true, sincere persons who want to know the true God and serve him find it difficult to love and worship a complicated, freakish-looking, three-headed God. I'm just reading what they say, right? Or what they've been taught. Um, Another thing they say is, the Trinity doctrine was not conceived by Jesus or the early Christians. The plain truth is that this is another of Satan's attempts to keep God-fearing persons from learning the truth about Jehovah and his son Christ Jesus. No, there is no Trinity. All this is in let God be true, that material. Uh, see, I'm referencing it now. Another one is, any any trying to reason out the Trinity teaching leads to confusion of the mind. So the Trinity teaching confuses the word meaning John 1. So the Trinity teaching confuses the meaning of John 1, 1 to 2. It does not simplify it or make it clear or easily understandable. In quotes, the word who is he according to John 7. 
Number seven, is Jehovah a trinity? Three persons in one God? No. Jehovah the Father is the only true God. John 17, uh, John 17, 3, Mark 12, 29. Jesus is his firstborn son and he's subject to God. 1 Corinthians 11, 3. And the Father is greater than the Son. John 14, 28. The Holy Spirit is not a person. It is God's active force. Genesis 1, 2, Acts 2, 18. What does God require of us? And this one is in what does God require of us. That's where they got this particular quote. Brooklyn Watchtower, um, 1997, the, the E-version. And the eighth thing about the Trinity is, thus, neither the 39 books of the Hebrew scriptures, nor the canon of the 27 inspired books of the Christian Greek scriptures provide any clear teaching on the Trinity. Thus, the testimony of the Bible and of history makes clear that the Trinity was unknown throughout biblical times and for several centuries thereafter. And for several centuries thereafter. They got this one for, should you believe in the Trinity you know, the 1997 edition. Now, what does the Bible say about the Trinity? Now, I've read everything that the JW say, right? Should I read anyone again? You didn't hear? Hey, Jesus, what's happening? No, you didn't need to write this one. I just, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of the, I don't know, are they shading me on Instagram because I can't see their comments. Uh, okay. Anyways, these are the things that these guys say about the Trinity. Now, how did we arrive at this thing from scriptures? This is in small shot. Jesus. Okay. All right. Um, first thing, Genesis one twenty six. Let's read this. Let's read these verses of scripture. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. He said, And God said, Let us. Let how many people? Come on, talk to me. Let how many people? He said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creepy, creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Go to Genesis 11, verse 7. Look at what it says here. Genesis 11, verse 7. It says, Go to, let us go down. And confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Please, are you here? Okay. He said, let us. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8. Isaiah. He said, also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for? Are you guys reading? Are you guys reading your Bible at all? Whom shall I send? And who will go for? Then said I, Here I am, send me. Now, if anything, let me, let me read what I wrote in my notes. It said, 
God did not create man. You know, if you show the Jehovah's Witness here, they, they could basically say that God was talking to him. The us there will refer to him and his angels. Are you with me? He will refer to him and his angels. This will only be true. This will be true if God. This will be true if man was created in both the image of God and angels. Are you with me? Because that Genesis 1.26, he said, let us make man in our image. So if he was talking to him and the angels, then definitely man was not just made in the image of God. Man was made also in the image of angels. Because the Bible says in Genesis 9.6, it corroborates that a man cannot kill another man because that man was made in the image of God. So, what exactly God was talking about, huh? or whoever God was talking about here, it definitely was not the angels. And through scriptures, what we see is that man was created in the what? In the image of God. So, look at, the Bible. Look at what I wrote here. I said, God did, not, God did not create man in his and angels' images. Since there is no other God but him, Isaiah 43.10. You know, the Lord, and besides me, there is none other. Since there is no other God but him, there must be a unity in plurality in a sense. What these verses show, Genesis 1 26, Genesis 11 7, Isaiah 6 8, what these verses show at the very least is that they show some sort of plurality in God. Are you, please, are you with me? They show some sort of plurality at the very least. At the very least. You know. Please, is that, is that clear? Okay. So if anything, it shows some sort of unity in plural, plurality. Right? And these verses basically show that there is a plurality in God. So when you read that and they say, oh, the us must have been talking of other heavenly beings. You know, thank God we are not created in the image of those other heavenly beings. Imagine if... We are created in the image of what Isaiah saw. The four, the, the four living creatures <laughs> that had four faces. I did do, but. <laughs> now, another question, and I broke this down into questions. Still under the Trinity. You know, something that they ask is who was running the earth when Jesus died? Who was running the earth when Jesus died? And even Muslims ask this question. Who was running the earth when Jesus died? Right? The first thing is Jehovah's Witness will ask this question because what? Who was running the earth when Jesus died? Is the earth. Because God runs the earth too now. Who was running the earth when Jesus died? Now, Jehovah's Witnesses are going to latch on to this because they believe, they don't believe in a consciousness after death. And I'm going to, we're going to come to the theology on hell. They don't believe in a consciousness after death. They believe in an eternal soul sleep. <laughs> so, but death in scriptures wasn't cessation of consciousness or destruction of that consciousness. Which is, when it comes to um, the theology of hell, a lot of people, be, um, they say that they are annihilationists. It means that if you are, if people say they see things for hungry, 
Everything what they say, just they shake it. You they sit in. YouTube, okay, it's good. A lot of people are annihilationists. And what they mean by that is they believe that when you die, that's the end of it. But scripturally, it's not true. If you die without knowing Jesus, you will see shaky. Premium. Anyways. But the reason the death in scriptures was not cessation of consciousness or destruction of consciousness. It was a separation. Death is actually separation. So when Adam died, Adam, when the Bible says, if you eat of this tree, you shall die, Adam ate of it, but still lived for about 900 years. But he was walking around and he was still dead. Why? Because that death of Adam, are you with me now? That death of Adam was not um, cessation of life. It was separation from God. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses will ask this question, even though this question has a false premise. It has a false premise. You know, um, first of all, we do not believe that Jesus bore the Trinity. That's the first thing. We don't believe that Jesus bore the Trinity. You know, when that verse of scripture that says he was the full, he, um, he, Jesus is the fullness of, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, right? That word Godhead just means deity. It means that he had the fullness of God. It does not mean that in him was the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Uh, are you here? It does not mean that in him was the Father, Son, and the Spirit. So look at what he said. He said, we do not believe that Jesus bore... See, when Muslims or these guys ask questions, they are being dubious. So they will lay a question on a false premise. Let me explain. Let me ask this question. Where's the second mic? Is there? Please, sir, could you help me hold the mic? Pass it. Can God... Actually, I need somebody that is opening Bible to even hold it so that if I read one scripture, you read the other one. Who wants to attempt this question? Can God create... Can God create a stone he cannot carry? Anybody? 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 Try, no wrong answer. Can God create a stone he cannot carry? Just wave, wave, yes. Can God create a stone he cannot carry? If you want to answer, raise your hand. The reason we're using the mic is so that those following us online can follow this teaching. Try now. Uh-uh. Try now. Give him, give him. Can God create a stone he cannot carry? Sit down, sit down. It's not class. Can God create a stone he cannot carry? I don't think so. Why not? Because if God created it, then he has the power of Christ. Because he's the creator. You answer my question. Can God create a stone he cannot carry? Yes no. or no? So he cannot do all things. <laughs> eh? Any other person? Can God create a stone he cannot carry? Are they answer? Answer. Can God create a stone he cannot carry? Where are the NSVD? Pastor Jerry, you are doing well. 
Can God create a son he cannot carry? Yes or no? I've already answered his own no, so you have one option left. He can Then he can't do all things. Please give it to her. My dear, talk to me. Can God create a stone he can't carry? He can, but it doesn't mean that he will. So he can create a stone he cannot carry. It doesn't mean he will. What is stopping him? Who is limiting him? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. So let me tell you, that question has a false premise. You want to try? Please, please give him the mic. Please give him the mic. Professor. So he created a stone, but it's like, Ugh. like when uh, Tony Stark tried to carry the hammer, me on here. <laughs> so God created a stone that he couldn't carry. Yes, that's what I'm saying. If he created a stone he can't carry, it means he's not all powerful. And if you also say, if you say no, right, it means that he's not, he's still not also all powerful. Look at this. If you say yes, it means that he cannot, if you say God created a stone he cannot carry, right? You are, you are saying God is not powerful. If you say that God did not, God cannot create a stone, he cannot carry. So he's not as powerful as we also think he is. Let me tell you, that question is faulty. Nothing is wrong with the answer. Everything is wrong with the question. Let me explain why. <laughs> I like the way the class is attentive now. Let me tell you why that question is faulty. The question is faulty because um, <laughs> it, it's like saying, can you create a rectangular circle? You cannot, you cannot tell somebody to do the logically impossible. Are you with me? You can't tell somebody to do the logically impossible. So the same way you cannot draw a squareal circle is the same way God cannot create a stone he cannot carry. Hallelujah to God. Are you learning something, please? Hallelujah. First of all, we do not believe Jesus bore the Trinity bodily. God became a man. That's what we believe. That's what scriptures tell us. We're going to go to the verses of scripture. Okay. Just give me a bit, please. All right. Christ, and look at this. Christ voluntarily submitted himself to an earthly body, but was still God. You know, I like to put it this way. Vera homo, vera de. Truly God truly man. As true as it is that he was God is as true as it is that he was man. Please, are you, are you with me? As true as it is that he was God is as true as it is that what? He was man. So, um, Christ voluntarily submitted, I'm going to come back to that later. Number A and B, the B part I put on this is this. Simply, a God that created logic can exist outside the limitations of our logic. 
A God that created logic can exist outside the limitations of our logic. And you see, did you did Jehovah's Witness? Ah, okay, I'll come. I'll come down to it. Let me just put that there and come down to it later. And the C part is simple. God is omnipresent. Please, are you with me? God is omnipresent. Say God is omnipresent. God is omnipresent. It means that if, if you believe that God can be everywhere at the same time, why do you feel it illogical that God can become, become a man, God can go to the grave, or, and when the Bible says Jesus went to the grave or went to hell, it's not, he didn't go to the place of torment. He went to the place of the dead. Right? Um, Hades or Sheol, depending on. So, if you think God can be here and be in Leicester and then be in London all at the same time, why can't God be a man, God be in the place of the dead and still be on his throne? Please, do you get this? So by the time the next Jehovah's Witness give you this question, you give the, you say, if, if so, A is equals to B and B is equals to C. <laughs> Find D. Oh, you, you skip it. Go to X. Find X. All right. Now, truly, it is not possible. Let me put it this way. It's really difficult to, understand, to fully understand it, but we see the unity of its substance. It may be a little difficult to fully understand how God, but like I said, if the God who created logic can exist outside the limitations of our logic. So, it might, be, it might be a little difficult to fully understand it, but the substance of its unity is real. Hallelujah. The substance of its unity is real. You know, one place we even see this is the baptism. Matthew chapter 3 from verse 16 to 17. Matthew chapter 3 from verse 16 to 17. What does the Bible teach us? The Bible tells us in Matthew 16. It said that as Jesus the son went and was being baptized. Amen. As he went and was being baptized. You know the spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. Are you here? Please like I said in our last meeting. Dove did not drop on Jesus. It was the descent of the spirit that was like the way a dove will descend. Is the same way the spirit of God descended upon him like. Somebody say like. Like a dove. Baraska. Elo Zomana. <laughs> so, the son was going to be baptized. The spirit, the God told John, he said, the one you see the spirit descend upon. So as he was coming, he said, the spirit descended upon him like a dove. And next, um, the father spoke. So we see three of them. In one place. Now, the verses in the beginning, that's Genesis 1, Genesis 11, Isaiah 6. These verses don't tell us how many. 
Please, are you here? These verses don't tell us how many, but these verses definitely tell us that there is a plurality in the divine. And then when you study through scriptures, because this is the thing, the revelation through scriptures, please, now, a lot of people have abused what I'm about to say. The revelation through scriptures is progressive. Are you here? Revelation through scriptures is progressive. What does that mean? This means that um, as you, there are things that will not be clear in Genesis that will become clear in Romans. Because you need to get the Bible as, it's not one book, it's 66. With over 40 authors, written in 40 different places with different occupations. Huh? Different occupations. Over a space of about 1,500 years. But this, the same message can be traced through. Please, are you with me? So, you need to carefully study scriptures to understand what the word is saying. Oh, glory to God. Our Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, because through the equipping center from Birmingham, the word of God will travel. The word of God will travel. The word of God will travel. Many will see Jesus better. Many will see Jesus better. The eyes of many will be flooded with light. Many will know him even as you know them. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So, um, what's the last thing I said? So? So, if you trace it so ahead, thank you very much. So, in Genesis and in Isaiah, we may not know. In fact, even in Isaiah, all we may see is the Spirit of God. And you see, in the Old Testament, when they say the Spirit of God, we don't really see the Spirit of God in the Old Testament as a person. We see the Spirit of God in the Old Testament as abilities. So when they said the Spirit came upon Samson, they did not see him come. The Spirit, how they knew the Spirit came upon Samson was spirit. Samson would just shake himself like this. Carry jawbone, key 300. <laughs> That's how they knew the Spirit has come upon him. They saw abilities that were at work and then they knew the Spirit of God has come upon him. But then in the New Testament, are you sweating? Okay, all that poor could. But in the New Testament, the spirit of, we now see a clear distinction of, they are telling us in that plurality, there's the son, there's the father, and then there's also the spirit. We're going to come to that. Are you with me now? We're going to come to that. In Matthew 28, 19, you know, he says, go into all the world, preach the gospel, but that is in the name of the what? Father, Son, and the Spirit. Open your Bible to John 14. I'm trying to rush through this because each of these, each of these things I'm teaching, all right, each of these things I'm teaching, they can, that's the Trinity, the deity of Christ, all these things, they can easily be an eight-week sermon. A series for eight weeks. So these are things that we need to rush. Somebody say rush. Where's that bimbola? 
As we said, rush. I was playing my head. He didn't rush. <laughs> I should know. I did not say anything. So, the first and only time I would listen to him. Who they open chin chin for then? Sorry, I'm trying to look at something. John 14, 16. In this, look at Jesus speaking. He said, I will pray the Father. He will give you another that he may abide with you forever. In these verses, we are seeing these three distinct, you know, and we're going to come to how we know Jesus is God eventually. Because one thing they also deny is the deity of Christ. They deny the deity of Christ, but we're going to come to that eventually. But um, we see three distinct people. There's the Father. He said, I will pray the Father. He will send the Comforter. And of course, later when we see, you see that Jesus was also there. So he is God. It will be fully, you know, we're going to come to the Holy Spirit. But the problem is these three things are intertwined. So I'm just going to be laying them as I'm going. The Jehovah's Witness, one of their teachings, I'm going to read it eventually. They say that, um, they say that in, act- in real life, the Holy Ghost is not a person. He's an invisible force like electricity. Yes. He's an invisible force like what? But Jesus was basically saying, I pray the Father, he will send you another. Now, the word another, alos, means another of the same kind or another of... I don't know if I should do this under of a different number, but let me put it this way. Another of it of this of it, the same kind. When you say another, it means that it is of the same quality, but it can function in my stead. Please, are you here? It's of the same quality, but it can what? Function in my stead. So Jesus is saying, All I am, the Holy Ghost is going to be. All I was when I was here, the Holy Ghost is what? It's going to be. Glory to God. Anyways, John 15, 26. Ah, time to love. Jesus speaking, he said, but when the comforter has come, whom I, please, are you here? Look at what Jesus said. Jesus said, I will pray to the Father. The Father will send you another comforter. John 15, he now said, read it again. He said, I will pray to the Father and the Father will do what? The father will do what? The reason I'm making you respond is so that it will be ingrained in your subconscious and to to be sure you're following. Are you with me? He said, in that John 14, I'll I'll pray and the father will send you and that comforter. But look at what he said in this John 15, 26. He said, when the comforter is come, whom what? Whom what? Who will send it? Who is the I? Whom I shall send unto you from the Father. Even the Spirit of truth, who proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. 
a lot of people don't know how deep these statements, when Jesus says, he shall testify of me. Do you know what it means to say that the spirit of God will testify of a person? Hallelujah. Philippians 2. I'm going to rush now, Jesus. Philippians 2, verse 7. Oh, no. Before we even get there, let's go to John 14. John 14. Same John 14. Verse 28. Now, Jehovah's Witness use these verses. They say things like, you have heard now I said unto you. You have heard, sorry, you have heard how I said unto you. I go away and I come again unto you. If you loved me, you will rejoice because I said I go unto the Father. For what? My Father is what? Greater than I. My Father is what? Greater. So they will say, you see? You see, I, that's Sabinus this thing. Right? He said, for the Father is what? Greater than I. But the first thing that they will quickly rush to is that, you see, the Father is greater than Jesus. But there is a reason Jesus, the reason Jesus said the Father is greater than I is not because he is not God. You need to understand, first of all, Jesus laid aside essentials of his divinity. Huh? Please, are you with me in this place? Jesus laid aside the essentials of his divinity and became a man. Open Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 7. Let me read it in a... Maybe we'll be reading it in KJV. So it's not gelling. It's not giving. Let me read it in the contemporary English version. Look at Philippians 2. Let's start from verse 6. I'm reading it in contemporary English version. It says, Christ was truly God, but he did not try to remain equal. He did not try to remain equal with God. Verse 7. Instead, he gave up everything and became a slave when he became like one of us. Look at verse 8. Christ was humble. He obeyed God, even, on, even died on the cross. Let me read it in another translation. ISV. Oh, I love this. I love this. Mm. Look at verse 6. He said, in God's own form existed he and shared with God's equality deemed, are you seeing that? Look at that verse 6. In God's own form existed he and shared with what? God's equality. Let me read it in KJV because KJV they scatter head. He said, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So when we read that, we say, hmm, we just move on. But when the Bible says, who being in the form of God thought it not to be, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You know, some people can quickly use that Shared with God equality. Please, are you with me? He shared with God what? Equality. But he deemed it nothing to what? Grasp onto. That equality was something that he decided not to what? Hold onto. He said, instead, 
poured out in emptiness. Let me go back to KJV. That verse 7. He said, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. So, it is in this form that Jesus then said, the father is greater than I. Because God became a man. He laid aside his, his divinity. He said he emptied himself. You know, I think the, the theological term is called kenosis. The process of emptying. He emptied himself. So, the father is great. And that's why, you know, Jesus would say many things like, I do only what I see my father do. And in fact, I'm going to touch more about this. Okay, no. Let me stop touching things. Before I get there and I finish touching it. But do we understand this, please? When he said, my father is greater than I. Do we get this? Matthew 28, 18. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus came and spoke unto them saying, All power is given unto me in what? Heaven and in earth. Only God can say this. Please, are you with me? Only God can say this. Amen. Now, let me show you something under the same, we're still talking on the Trinity, reason. If one God, if you say one God is equal to three gods, is it logical? If you say one person is equal to three persons, is illogical? Please, are you with me? If you say one God is equal to one God, it's illogical. One person is equal to one person, is illogical. But when you say it is one God, three persons, then it is logical, at least to our limited scope. Remember what I said earlier. So, it's not one God is equal to three gods. And that's exactly another thing that the Muslims miss. Even Mormons. And Mormons, they didn't just miss it. They went far. They erased the line and drew a new one. So, um... Anyways, on the Trinity at least, like I said earlier, in the early verses of scripture, these are the major verses that they use. You know, other verses that they use, we're going to talk about it when uh, we get to the verses that Jehovah's Witnesses use when they say Jesus is a created being. Amen. 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 Very good. The next one we're going to be looking at is, oh, no, no, wait, wait, it's not the next one. It's still under the same one. Ah, Jesus. Should I go on this one? Should I? I'll go on it, but I'll still come back to it when I talk about uh, the deity of Christ. The third thing under the same Trinity thing that they talk about is why there can't be a Trinity. Is the, the Jehovah's Witness also say Jesus was a created being. Jesus was a, you are strong. These teachings are not shocking you people. If I did that for say, Kabeshi. 
<laughs> okay. John 5.18. Let's start from there. This is still under the Trinity topical. Are you, are you here? John 5.18. Should I start from there? Okay, let's start from there. Mm. Sorry, give me uh, my bad. Let's go to John 6. Let's start from John 6. John 6, 57. It says, As the Father sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall what? If, if, are you, is your Quran open? Let's read that again. John 6, 57. Like a mass choir, one, two, go. So now look at this. The JW folks are going to say, Jesus gets life from the Father. Hence, he cannot be equal with God. They say he gets life. Now, see, if these verses are not explained, out of context, they make sense. It's the same thing with the Calvinist theology too. Out of context, it makes sense. He said, Jesus gets life from the Father, hence he cannot be equal to God. But, you know, continuing, I wrote, this even makes sense when coupled with John 5, 26. John 5, 26. Look at what he says here. He says, for as the Father had life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have what? Life in himself. Next verse, and had what? Given him authority to execute judgment also. Because he is the what? Son of man. This verse, when he says, because he is the son of man, hmm, it's not this one. I can't remember. I can't believe this skipped my notes. Hold on. There's a verse of scripture I'm looking for. Um, Just give me a bit. Okay, now, this verse, look at, look at Jesus speaking now. In this, uh, John 5, okay. If you read that, he said, you know, they said the Father gave Jesus life, so Jesus cannot be God. But look at what Jesus said in this John 5. He said, for, he, for as the Father had life in himself, so had he given the Son to have life in himself. And had given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the what? Son of man. This verse is actually a fulfillment of the prophecy that Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Let's read that. Just, I just have to find that verse quickly. Because when Jesus is called the son of man, he's not called the son of man in terms of he's the child of a man. Son of man was Daniel's prophetic vision. It was a fulfillment. Look at Daniel chapter 7. Look, let's read from verse 13. Look at this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the son of man 
came with the clouds of heaven and came to the and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him and there was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and that all people nations and languages should what serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not, shall not be destroyed in the light of the new testament who is this in the light of the New Testament, who fulfilled this? Please, are we getting this? Good. So now, the Son of Man term does not mean that Jesus was not God. The Son of Man term actually fulfills the fact that he was the Messiah. Please, are you here? It actually fulfills the fact that he was the Messiah. And when you couple the prophecies of Jesus being the Messiah... With when he says his name shall be called what? Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. He does prove the deity of Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's go on. Um, now, this makes sense when you couple it. Let's go back to what we were reading. Uh, where were we? John chapter 5, verse 26. Okay. So let me read what I wrote. The Jehovah's Witness will say, Jesus gets life from the Father, hence he isn't equal with God. This even makes, this even makes sense when, you, when they add it with this John chapter 5 verse 26. Right? The context cannot be or mean that Jesus derived eternal existence from God. The context of these verses cannot mean that Jesus derived eternal existence from God. Why? John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I want us to read these scriptures. I don't want to quote it so that we can have it. John chapter 1. You know, you read from verse 1 to 14. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. You know. Um, you go down to verse 14. The word was made flesh. So the word existed with the father from the beginning. Please, are you here? You know, you read uh, Philippians chapter uh, 2 that we quoted earlier. You read from verse 5 to 11. Let's read it. <laughs> Philippians 2. Oh, my bad. He said, Let this mind be in you which was in Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. It means Jesus having the same form with the Father was not robbery. Why? Because he was God, right? He said, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. So, it means that the son, that's Jesus, Jesus existed with the father. Please, are you with me? Jesus existed who? With who? With the father. And as Jesus existed with the father, Jesus came into time. Because look at what he says here. He said, um, who being in the form of God, da, 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 da. look at verse 7. But he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. It's the same way in John 1, he said, and the word was what? Made flesh. So him taking upon him the form of a servant was the word being made flesh. 
Please, are you with me? We're going to, I think at the end of this teaching, we'll just take some time and pray. We'll take some time and pray. Please, those on YouTube, are you following me? Let me know if you're following me. I can see somebody writing notes. You don't even have time to comment. You're just writing. Now, the contents cannot be, cannot be or mean Jesus derived eternal existence from God. John 1, 1 to 14, Philippians 2, 5 to 11. But this, kenosis, which, <coughs> kenosis, which is the process of emptying, right, in no way affected his deity. God becoming a man in no way affected the fact that Jesus is God or was God even when he was in the flesh. Please, are you with me? Now, you know, when they say, oh, Jesus derived life from the Father, they may now mean that uh, if he derived life from the Father, it means that he did not exist from the beginning. But you have to go. Now, in the New World Translation, that's the Jehovah's Witness false Bible, what they actually say is in the beginning was a word or a word. They say in the beginning was a word, right? And the word was with God, and the word was God, small letter G. That has to be uh, Shopano. Praise the Lord. The divine emptying in no way affected the fact that he was God. Let me show you a few verses. John chapter 8. Um, where, who is with the um, Joy. You're going to read Colossians 2.9 for me. There's a mic beside you. What's your name? Jessica, you read. No, I like this one, so I'll read it myself. You will read Hebrews 1.8. Hebrews 1.8, Joy, Colossians 2.9. But I want to show you John chapter 8, verse 58. So let me say that again. When they say Jesus derived life from the Father, it cannot mean that Jesus existed after the Father. Uh, Jesus did not exist with the Father from the beginning. That cannot be what it means. Because if you read that John, the verses, uh, that, um, what verse did we read? John 5, right? It said, as the Father had authority, the Father conferred authority upon the Son. Oh, are you here? The Father conferred authority upon the Son. So, for the Father to confer authority upon the Son, one thing that needs to be known is that if you read those verses, in fact, those verses, uh, oh, let me go back to that John 5. Look at it again. He said, Verily I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given the Son of Man life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Remember that Son of Man, Daniel chapter 7, right? Daniel chapter 7. He said, Marvel not at this, in which all that he had, in which in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. I don't know if this is still in my notes when it comes to sonship, but let me drop this quickly. When Jesus talks about him being the son of God, it does not mean that he was lesser than God because he was God's child. A lot of um, Jehovah's Witnesses folks will basically say that the son of a man is not the same as the man. But you need to understand the... You see, the Bible was written in a cultural context. Please, if you get that, say amen. amen. 
The Bible was written in a cultural context. And that's why, um, I think it's in my notes, but when, they, when Jesus said he was the son of God, they wanted to stone him. Because they said that he was saying that he was claiming equality with God. So him being the son of God had nothing to do with um, subservience. What it, you know, the Bible even tells us that we are born of incorruptible seed. We are also sons of God. The word son means nature. It basically means we share in the same nature. We partake of the same nature as God. Are you with me? We partake of the same nature as God. So when we say that we are sons of God, it means that we are partakers of his divine nature. Not that God, and that's why Muslims do not understand it when they say God does not have a wife. How come he has children? You know, but the, Bible's, the Bible did not say God slept with anybody to bring anybody in. He says that he has adopted us. He has called us into the beloved. We have taken of his name, of his nature, and of his spirit. Therefore, we are of the same nature with God. That's what sonship means. So when I say you are a son of God, sorry, when I say you are a son of God, what that will mean is that you are a partaker of God's divine nature. God's life flows in you because you are his son. Hallelujah. Say God's life flows in me because I'm his son. Hallelujah. Um... Give me a bit, please. Okay. Anyways, kenosis in no way affected his deity. John chapter 8. Let me open that. John 8, 58. This is Jesus speaking. He said, and Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. The word ayer, that's the Hebrew word. Before Abraham was, I am. What? Somebody might think this is grammatical blunder. It's not. Where this one is gotten from is Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 from verse 14, I believe. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. You know, I think the Jehovah's Witness Bible, the New World Translation, taints this line. They don't like him. But the truth is, before Abraham, I am. So Jesus was not making a grammatical blunder. In fact, the next verse, the next verse makes it clear. The next verse makes it clear. The next verse now says, Then, then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and passed through. Now, they only threw stones at people for a few reasons. And part of those reasons were blasphemy. So, when Jesus said, before Abraham, I am, they knew it was not just a gram- there was not grammatical blunder. They took it as blasphemy because it looked like he was claiming equality with God. Give me the next reading. What I'm reading there are the verses that show that God being a man does not change. Jesus, be, God becoming a man did not in any way affect him being God. His kenosis, the process of his divine emptying did not change the fact that he was God. Are you with me? 
Let me hear you. Colossians 2, 9. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Read it in under translation. Okay. Uh, NLT. Mm-hmm. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Do you see that? For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body. I think another translation says, in him dwells the fullness of deity. So, huh? No, that's not TPT. That's another translation. But another translation puts it that way. But TPT probably says that too. But another thing you should know that in God, in Jesus was the fullness of God. It means that when Jesus was walking on the earth, God was walking on the earth. Let me read the one I said I like very much. In fact, Jehovah's Witness, this one, they always shock them. When they see, they are like, I can't believe it. Titus 2, verse 13. He said, looking, if I let me read from verse 11. He said, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and what? Worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for, the word looking for here is, is not searching for, it means looking forward to. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God. And Savior, who? Who is our great God? Oh, are you? Who is our great God? Looking forward to that blessed hope of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Kabishi. <laughs> Father, unto your hand I submit. Now, um, Hebrews 1.8. But of the Son, it says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The righteous scepter is the scepter of thy kingdom. But of the who? Talk to me. But of the who? Uh-uh. Why are you guys doing like Akamu now? But of the who? Uh-huh. He said. Read it again, please. Read it again, please. But of the Son, it says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Thy righteous scepter is the scepter of thy kingdom. I can't believe I'm walking out of this frame. I walked out and returned. Please. Anyways. Now, another verse of scriptures, the Jehovah's Witness folks are going to use is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Let's open it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And the problem is, you see, lack of scholarship, eh? Lack of scholarship will make you argue with a verse that proves the point. They say, yeah, oh Israel. I can't remember. There's a name. The, Israel, the Hebrews call this uh, vow. I don't know why it's keeping my mind. The is it the, is this Sha something? I can't remember the name. The Sha something. I can't remember. They say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And they say, You see, if the Bible says the Lord your God is one, then he cannot be a Trinity. But the question is simple. Sister Agnes, please. The Bible, 
when you say the Lord your God is one, first of all, we are not saying that we are serving three gods. It's one God, three persons. It's not one God that became three. That's a heresy called modalism or sabellianism. It's not one God that became three. It's one God in three persons. You see? The Shema. Yes. So when they say Deuteronomy 6, he said, your Lord, your God is one. And they say that means he cannot. First of all, that verse, the word one there is echod, E-C-H-O-D. And the word, let me, let me read it in my notes. The word does not mean absolute unity, but composite unity. Let me explain what I mean. In Numbers chapter 13, you know, when the uh, spies went into Jericho and they came out, when they went into Jericho and they came out and they brought grapes, you know, they brought one bunch of grape and they said, Do you know what? Open your Bible. Numbers 13. Numbers 13. Sir? I'm walking outside. It's your fault now. You should be moving it as I'm moving. Numbers 13. Let's start from verse 23. He said, and they came unto the brook of his call and cut down from thence a branch of one cluster of grapes. And they bear in between, they bear it between two upon a staff, and they brought of the pomegranate and of the figs. Now, the word one there is the same word as in Deuteronomy 6 that says, The Lord your God is one. The Lord one there is called. And of course, when they say they brought they cut down a bunch of grapes. One distant. Of course, you know it's not one big grape. It was a cluster. So, when you use this verse, it makes perfect sense when you link it to Isaiah 6, 8, Genesis 1, 26, and then uh, Genesis 11 that we read. Let us make man. Let us go down. It basically shows that even from then, they knew that there was definitely a plurality in the divinity. Please, are you with me? I think I will leave this one for when we enter the deity of Christ. Second doctrine. So all we've been doing now is subtopics under the Trinity. Second doctrine. DG, somebody should swap with Adeshala. Second doctrine. The, uh, uh, what's his name? Come on, swap with Adeshala, please. Tofumi, Omolaja, that was in my head. Omolara was in my head for some weird reason. Second doctrine. I can't hear you. Don't worry. Jehovah's Witness and the Holy Spirit. Jehovah's Witness and the Holy Spirit. Mm hmm. Look at what they say. The Holy Spirit is the invisible active force of the Almighty God. Are you, are you taking this word seriously, please? They said the Holy Spirit is the invisible active force of the, Holy, of the Almighty God that moves his servants to do his will. Next thing they say is, are you guys writing this one down? Or should I just read it? Nobody's answering, okay. You're writing down. 
It's like you have Jehovah's Witness friends. No wonder. As you came in, I saw your face. Number two, as for the Holy Spirit, the so-called, now, they, they got this from Let God Be True, page 108. Number two claim is, as for the Holy Spirit, the so-called third person in the Trinity, we have already seen that it is not a person, but God's active force. The truth that leads to eternal life in Brooklyn, <clears throat> Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, in the, in, they wrote this in 1964, 1968, page 24. Um, number three, my Lagos family, I'm going to be with you in two weeks. Praise God. I can just go there and the Lord says, stay here. I say, Adi Shola. God knows I'm not joking. If he does that, that's the end. Number three, by, by the end, I mean I will be him. That's what I mean. Number three, the scriptures themselves themselves unite to show that God's Holy Spirit is not a person, but it is God's active force by which he accomplishes the purpose, by which he accomplishes his purpose and executes his will. Aid to Bible understanding. Brooklyn, Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, 1969-1971-1543. Number four claim for them is, the Bible's use of the Holy Spirit indicates that it is a controlled force that Jehovah God uses to accomplish a variety of his purposes. To a certain extent, it can be likened to electricity, a force that can be adapted to perform a great variety of operations. In their article, Should You Believe in the Trinity? No, they play. Number five. You see, when I'm breaking down this doctrine, you remember where we started from the doctrines of devils, sponsored by devils. Next verse, number five. No, the Holy Spirit is not a person and it is not part of a trinity. The Holy Spirit is God's active force that he uses to accomplish his will. It is not equal to God, but is always at his disposition and subordinated to him. Should you believe in the trinity? Now, apart from what cultists believe, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Acts chapter 5, verse 3 to 4. Let me rush through this. So you see if we can cover this, cover some... some hmm? On YouTube, you rewatch the stream, sweetheart. Because we are closing by five. Each of these topics is easily a series. So let's, let's go. Ah, we should sing a little before, towards the end. Towards the end, we are going on break by two. So let's end. Acts chapter, towards the end of this session. Then we continue by... You see, just an aside. Let me give an aside very quickly. I don't... I'm there now, my boy. He came from Hungary for this meeting. Right? Wait, wait. Don't shout. He came from Hungary for this meeting. You know, I don't know if she wants me to put her on the spot. But she, as I'm looking at you now, because she came from Scotland. She took a bus 8 p.m. yesterday and entered here at 5 a.m. this morning. I can't imagine doing that. And I respect people's time. If they have given effort to it, 
is, is only worth it that we give our efforts to it. I spent, as you can see, I spent quality time on this note. I finished it on Thursday. Thursday on train on my way back, I said, hi. My head was hot. You came from like 48 minutes here. I didn't as if you came from Abuja. Anyways. So, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't now say we don't really have time. Let's just do a quick word. No. It's a disservice to God's people, and I honor God's people. Jehovah's Witness. Additional last family. He <laughs> said, ah, no. Acts chapter 5, verse 3 to 4. The person of the Holy Spirit is active in scriptures. Hey, Doki, Doki has come. Good to see you. There are many doctors here. Doc, how are you doing now? Good to see you. <laughs> it's like a shocker. I couldn't believe it. Acts chapter 5. Doc, please, indulge us. Acts chapter 5, verse 3 to 4. Look at this. In, uh, let's read it. Acts chapter 5, verse 3 to 4. He said, are you here? Are you with me? Acts chapter 5, verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, Adeshola, why hath Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep part of the price? It sounds like the iPad. Are you, are you, the iPad will sell. <laughs> he said, but Ananias, why has Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep part of the price of the land? Now, he did not tell him, why are you lying to an invisible force? Why are you lying to a force that can be likened to electricity? You don't lie to electricity. If you lie, leave out your paper abuse. He said, why are you lying to the Holy Ghost? Now, there are many talks around this verse, but you cannot deny that this verse explicitly shows the person of the Holy Ghost. At least that the apostle believed in the person of the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 13 from verse 2 to 4. He says, and as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost did what? Bami Sora. The Holy Ghost did what? Look at verse 4. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto what? Seleucia. They being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Now look at this. Um, the Holy Ghost, from this verse, the Holy Ghost speaks and the Holy Ghost sends. An invisible force does not speak, does not send. Electricity, they throw people, shall so if he sends me. <laughs> so, an invisible force does not speak and does not send. He not send you. Are you now? In Acts 20, in Acts, uh, Acts 21, direct your questions to me. If you don't get it, tell me. I repeat it again, okay? Sorry? Acts 13, 2 and 4. Same thing is seen in Acts 21, verse 10. He said, and as we tarried there many days, there came from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he came unto us, he took Paul's and bound his hand and feet and thus said, 
he answered, Thus saith the Holy Ghost. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owned this girl. Yada, yada, yada. Now, if anything, Agabus was speaking by the Spirit. So it means that the Spirit speaks. Please, are you with me? It shows that the Spirit speaks. John chapter 14. This ones need no explanation. 16 to 17. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. That's who? That's what? You guys are not there. Let me read it. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Not it. He. Verse 17. Even the spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. The spirit is a he. He's a person. Hallelujah. In fact, many limitations to people not hearing God is not really understanding that the spirit is a person. Right? Use the mind. Um, John 14, 16 to 17. Look at verse 26. He said, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. You see, Muslims will say that the comforter is Muhammad, except Muhammad changed his name to Holy Ghost. Right? But the Bible says the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father shall will send in my name, he shall teach you. So John 14, 16 to 17, 26, 16 to 17, verse 26. Then if you read John 16, 7 to 14, just write that down. John 16, 7 to 14. You know, Jesus kept on using he, 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 you know. Then, uh, Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form and void, and the spirit of God moved over. The spirit of God was not a force, it was a person that moved over the face of the waters. Praise the Lord. Now. Oradawasish. How many people do we have live on Instagram, though? Okay. Um, Holy Spirit speaks. Okay, I have this. Now, the Jehovah's Witness have a Bible called the New World Translation. And there, there are many verses that they misconstrue to fit their theology. But I'm not going to talk about all of them. I'm not going to talk about all the verses. I'm only going to talk about some of the verses. All right? I'm only going to talk about some of the verses. First of all, let me, let me read a few things to you guys. Now, in 1954, Wednesday, November 24th, there was a cross-examination. They were examining Frederick W. Franz, the vice president of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, he was sent as a representative of the Society and Translations Communications. And this was how the cross-examination went. Have you, also, have you also made yourself familiar with... Hold on. They said, have you made yourself familiar with Hebrew? He answered, yes. They said, so, so that you have a substantial linguistic apparatus at your command? He said, yes, for use in my biblical work. The next question is, they said... 
He said, I think you are able to read and follow the Bible in Hebrew, Greek, Latin, Spanish, Portuguese, German, and French. He said, yes. Later in the same cross-examination, they said, you yourselves read and speak Hebrew, do you? He said, I do not speak Hebrew. They said, you do not? He said, no. They said, can you yourself translate that into Hebrew? He said, which? They said, that fourth verse of the second chapter of Genesis. He said, you mean here? Me, I said, uh-uh, the other one. They said, you, he said, you mean here? They said, yes, and he said, no. But earlier. So that's, that's why I like that second definition of a cult. A cult is anybody who gathers around people's misinterpretation of scripture. Uh, David Ojaela Rajavi, you're shaking your head. <laughs> Anyways, let's look at a few of their scriptural distortions. I'm trying to see which one do I use. I don't want to touch this Colossians one yet because I want to use it to talk about the deity of Christ. Hmm. Ah, just visualize Philippians one twenty three now. Okay, let's use this one. A few verses that they get wrong. Now, in Matthew 27, verse 50, Matthew 27, verse 50, um, the Jehovah's Witness put it this way. They say again, Jesus cried with a loud voice and yielded up his breath. The normal KJV and many of the Greek translations will put it this way. He cried out and yielded up his spirit. But in the next one, in Luke 2346. The same account of the same story. They put it this way. And Jesus called with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Now, let me read a paragraph I put here. It said from, from a book I used. It said, The interested student of scripture will note from Matthew 27 and Luke 23 that there are parallel passages describing the same event. Namely, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in Matthew's account. The witnesses had no difficulty substituting the word breath for the Greek word spirit, which is pneuma. For in their vocabulary, this word has many meanings. None of them have, none of them having any hearing upon the general usage of the term. That is an immaterial con- cognizant nature inherent in man by definition, the description of angels through creation. Jehovah's Witness reject this material in man and call it breath, life, mental disposition, or something wind-like. In fact, they will call it anything but what God's word says it is. An invisible nature, eternal by creation, a spirit made in the image of God. Because Jehovah's Witness, of course, the reason why they redefine this is that they believe that after death, there's nothing to man. Like I said, eternal soul sleep. The two verses I'll quote, uh, the two, they, they are about four or five verses that I could use, but I want to use two. Um, and I'm trying to cover a lot of ground for us to go to what might come up if you come across a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, where did I stop? He said, but context determines translation along with grammar, and their translations quite often do not remain true to either, meaning context 
or grammar. He said, having forced the word breath into Matthew's account of the crucifixion to make it appear that Jesus only stopped breathing and did not yield his eternal nature unto, upon dying, the witnesses plod onto Luke's account only to be caught in their own trap. Luke, learned scholar and master of Greek that a master of the Greek that he was, forces the witnesses to render his account of Christ's words upon the correct term, spirit, instead of breath, as in Matthew 27, 50. Thus, in one full swoop, the entire watchtower fabric of manufactured terminology collapses. Because Jesus will hardly have said, Father, into your hand I commit my breath. Yet, if the witnesses are consistent, which they seldom are, why did they not render the identical Greek term pneuma? Because that word there, unto your hand I commit my, in that matter, it was pneuma, unto your hand I commit my spirit. But you know, when you are dubious, you be creative. They said, which they seldom are, he said, why didn't they render the term pneuma as breath both times? The second time in Luke, why didn't they say use spirits too? He said, for it is a parallel account of the same scene. He said the solution to this question is quite elementary as all can clearly see. The witnesses could not render its breath in Luke and get away with it. He said so they used it where they could and hoped nobody would notice. Either it or the different rendering in sorry, if or nobody would notice it either sorry, let me, I lost my train of thought. Let me read it again. The witnesses could not render its breath in Luke and get away with it. So they used it where they could and hope nobody would notice either it or the different rendering in Matthew. The very fact that Christ dismissed his spirit proves that the survival of the human proved the survival of the human spirit beyond the grave. Or as Solomon so wisely put it, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 12, 7. Please, do we get that? There is a reason why JW will be as dubious as they are. Because they don't believe in the function of a spirit after... They don't believe in the consciousness of your spirit after life. So they will have to be dubious to make it say what it is not saying. Amen to God. Let me use another one. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 to 23. Let me read what the Bible says. For in my case, to live is Christ and to die again. Right? Now, if, if it be to live on in the flesh, this is a fruit of my work. And yet, which thing to select, I do not know. I am under pressure from these two things. But what I do desire is the releasing and being with Christ. For this, to be sure, is far better. Please read um, Philippians 1, 21 to 23 in KJV or any translation. Philippians chapter 1 from verse 21. For to me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 22. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I, yet what I shall choose, I wot not. Verse 23. For I am in a straight... Betwixt two. Betwixt two. Having a desire to depart 
and to be with Christ, which is far better. Okay. <clears throat> so these guys, the, there's, there's, when they say, I desire to, to depart and be with Christ, when they now say, I desire for there to be a releasing, as innocent as that sounds, is dubious. Because, of course, like I said, in Jesus' system, they don't believe in the consciousness of the soul after death. But when they say a release, it just means, okay, he was released to do it. But the verse, Paul said, but to depart and to be with Christ is far better. Paul was basically saying that there is a continuity. Okay, let's, let's go on. Let's, let's go to another... Um, another lie. Ah, this is my favorite. I think I'll do this one. We'll take a break. Then we'll come back. The deity of Christ. Eh? And this is my favorite lie to debunk. Let me put it that way. Because <laughs> you are a hooligan now. Let me show you guys this one. The deity of Christ. The deity of Christ. Look at what they say. The true scriptures speak of God's word, of God's son, the word as a God, small letter G. He is a mighty God, mighty, small letter G. You see, I came across a Jehovah's Witness one time, and they said, you see, the word mighty God is not the same as almighty God. You are a criminal, a criminal. You are a criminal. Let me even enter that one a little. It was not even in my notes. I just remembered it as I said it. Um, Isaiah 6, have you? Isaiah, Isaiah 9. It's Isaiah 9, 9, 6. The word mighty is the word gibor. Gibor, right? And that word is used 152 times. No, 159 times through the Bible. Gibor, same word. And where it was used, it was used to mean mighty one, mighty one, mighty one. I'm coming. There's a, there's a place it was used to mean almighty. I'm trying to look for it. Ah, it was not in my notes, so. In 2 Samuel 1.19, it's used to mean, sorry, 1 Samuel 17.51, is used to mean champion. Champion. Uh, I think it's in Ezekiel also, just kidding. Guys, I don't want us to, to be stuck here. But there's the same word that is mighty, is used as almighty in another translation. In an, the same word, gibor, is used to mean almighty to something else in one of the prophet's writings. So to say that the word gibor is mighty but is not almighty is to be criminally dubious. That's what you are doing. You are being a criminal. So this is what they said. Oh, it's even here. They said the true scriptures, so I know someone told me this before, but already. The true scriptures speak of God's son, the word, as 
a God. He is a mighty God, but not the almighty God who is Jehovah. The truth shall make you free. Brooklyn, it's funny how they are naming this thing, that thing, but they are not free. Brooklyn, Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, 1943, page 47. In other words, he was the first and direct creation of Jehovah God. The kingdom is at hand. It is there. Repent. The Bible shows that there is only one God greater than his son and that the son as the firstborn only begotten and the creation of God had a beginning. That the father is greater and older than the son is reasonable, easy to understand and is what the Bible teaches. Ah, Thank you. Verse 6. Certainly the apostle John, oh verse 5, um, number five. The very fact that he was sent proves that he was not equal with God, but was less than God the Father. Six. Certainly the Apostle John was not so unreasonable as to say that someone was with some other individual, God, and at the same time was, was that other individual. Thus, Jesus had an existence in heaven before coming to the earth, but was it as one of the persons in an almighty, eternal, triune God? No. For the Bible plainly states that in his pre-human existence, Jesus was a created spirit being, just as angels were spirit beings created by God. Neither the angels nor Jesus had existed before their creation. This one is in... Should you believe in Trinity? <laughs> now let's look at it from the Bible. First of all, you are tired. Something is wrong with all of them. <laughs> but secondly, let's look at what the Bible says. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. Unto us a child is born. Unto, this is the deity of Christ now. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince. His name is Mighty God. Please, are you here? His name is Mighty God. I'm going to read many scriptures. Uh, where's the mic? Okay, so do this for me. Um, Isaiah M. Joy. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, Mr. Adelaku. Um, John 1, 14. John 8, 58. John 17, 5. You know, I, I think we already read John 17, 5. But let's just go through that. Let me read Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Look at this. They said, but thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth, shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old and from everlasting. Let me read that again. Let me read it in a contemporary translation so we get it. Bethlehem, Ephrata, you are one of the smallest towns in the nation, but the Lord will choose one of your people to rule the nation. Someone whose family goes back to ancient times. Let me read it again in ISV. 
As for you, Bethlehem of Ephrata, even though you remain least among the clans of Judah, nevertheless, the one who rules in Israel for me will emerge from you. His existence has been from antiquity. His existence has been from antiquity, even from eternity. Let me go back to KJV. But thou, Bethlehem, thou, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me. That is to be a ruler in Israel. When the Bible says, what happened? Are we still alive? When the Bible says, whose goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. The word goings forth means where he comes from. His origin has been from eternity. This verse is one thing that shows that when Jehovah's Witness say, oh, Jesus derived life from the Father, it means that he had, eh, eh, my casa, whose goings forth has been from the beginning. Please, are you with me? Let's read, let's read. Read for me, Joy. Isaiah 7.14. Uh-huh. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Mm. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, mm -hmm. and shall call his name Emmanuel. Mm -hmm. Meaning? Meaning God is with us. So, Jesus was God being amongst men. Jesus was God. His name was prophecy of what he was. God being amongst men. Let me hear you, sir. Study that John 1.14. Mm. And the word was made flesh and mm -hmm. dwelt with us. Mm. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. The word was made flesh. And the same word that was in the beginning with God. And the same word that was God. Is the same word that was made flesh. Let me hear you, um, Jessica. John 8.58. Mm. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you. Before Abraham was, I am. We've read that already, right? Um, um, Augusta, Miss Mbora, let me hear you. John 17, 5. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. See, let me show you something. Exodus chapter 3. Hold the mic, hold the mic. You read that again. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Right. When Jesus said, read that again. John 17, 5. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Do you know, the Bible lets us understand that God does not share his glory with anybody. But for him to say, bring me into the glory that we shared. Look at what he said. Into the glory that we shared before uh -uh. You have to be willfully blind to not see it. Please, are you with me? My shoes are really nice. Praise the Lord. It's given. Let me re let me show you. Uh, but bring the mic. Let's let's go this way. Let's go this way. You have blocked it already. Give I media. We'll start from I media this way. Hebrews 1 3, um, Doctor, Philippians 2 11, and Lloyd, Colossians 2 9. Hebrews 1 3, Philippians 2 11, Colossians 2 9. I'm going to read Revelations 1 8. 
Yes, yes, please. Hebrews 1 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. You are correct, but it's not giving. Read it in KJV. Ah. It's deep. KJV or NKJV? KJV. Hebrews 1 3. Hebrews 1 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Yeah. Read, 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 read. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person mm-hmm. and upholding all things by, by the word, the of, word his of, power. of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Mm. So look at what the Bible says. He said, Who being the brightness of God's glory, the express image of God's person. Uh, what's the next one again? Who? I shall I read it? Upholding all things by the word of his power. It's only God that does that. Please, are you with me? Only God does that. So, and this is Jesus. So, the only logical end is Jesus is God. Amen. Philippians 2.11. Philippians 2.11. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. Please go on. Uh, words of... Uh, they use many heresies that were debunked in the early church. That's church history to substantiate this, their argument. But you cannot explain away these verses of scripture. You can't explain it away. In John 1 1. Okay. Let me add these these verses to it. We've read uh, John 8 58, right? Before Abraham, I am. Let me, let me read this thing to you. Um, something I copied here. He said, Hebrew law states, you know, remember the one we read, John 8, 53, that he said, before Abraham, I am, and they wanted to stone him. There are five cases on which they stoned people in the Old Testament. Number one, um, when you had a familiar spirit. Luke, Leviticus 20, 27. Um, number two, false prophets who lead to idolatry. Deuteronomy 13, 5. Mm. Okay, let me, let me do two verses. Let me do two verses. Look at Revelation chapter 1 verse 8. I know I quoted that and I didn't get to it. Revelation 1 8. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. <laughs> let me read it. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. The Almighty. Now, who is the person that was speaking here? If you have a red letter Bible, you know what is in red. It's Jesus that was speaking here. So Jesus is the Alpha, the Omega. He's that which was, 
which is and which is come. He is the Almighty. Praise the living Jesus. Hold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Look at Revelations. Um, Revelations 2.8. He said, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and which is alive. See, there is no one that was at the beginning and there is no one that will be at the end except God. So, for Jesus to say these things about himself, he is God. Are you with me, please? Don't even know which one to equal to again. You know, in that Revelations 1.8, when you compare Matthew 24 verse 30 and Revelations 1.7, let me show something to you. Matthew 24.30 said, And these signs shall appear, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Look at what Revelation 1.7 says. Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindred of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so. Amen. The two verses are talking of the same person. And definitely it is Jesus. Hallelujah. And these verses, no man who comes in this glory except he is God. You know, in Isaiah 44, 6, God declares, he said, I am the first and the last. So the one that is the first and the last and the one that is saying I'm the beginning and the end, they are the same. Amen. Amen. You know, there are so many verses of scripture. That's my confusion now. But anyways, let me show us something. These are the last two verses we do. We sing, we pray, we go on break. Are you happy about that? At least I'll be happy. People that don't like Bible. Colossians 1, 15 to 16. Please pay attention here. Colossians 1, 15 to 16. Let me end, let me end this afternoon session on this note. We'll go on break and come back. Are you learning something? Uh -uh. It's only here people here that have been blessed. Are you learning something? Have you been grounded better? Glory to God. Mm. Colossians 1, 15. Look at this. Of course, he's talking about Jesus. He says, oh yeah. Um, he said, who is the image of the invisible God? The what? Firstborn of every creature. So, you know, when you read this, you are like, uh-uh. The image of the invisible God. But you know what he's showing? He's showing that God is, Jesus is the firstborn of every creature. It means that of every creature that was made, Jesus was made first. Are you with me? It's easy to read it that way. That of every creature that was made, Jesus was what? Made first. Mataka Jesus was made first. But that's a wrong interpretation. That's a wrong interpretation. 
Um, okay, let's read this first. The word firstborn is, is two words, or is one word, prototokos, where we get the English word prototype. Is the word proto and titko. The word you know what, I'll come back to that. But when you first hear the word firstborn, the word firstborn there had nothing to do with position. It had everything to do with authority. Stay with me, please. The word firstborn had nothing to do with position. It had everything to do with authority. I'll prove it to you. Go down to verse 17. It said, oh, verse, uh, well, which verse am I looking at now? I'm looking for that verse that says he's the firstborn from the dead. It's somewhere here. 18. Yes, 18. He said, and he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus was not the first to rise from the dead. Are you with me? Jesus was not the first to rise from the dead. He wasn't. He wasn't the first to rise. So, if he wasn't the first to rise from the dead, then, please pay attention. If he wasn't the first one to rise from the dead, then definitely, it cannot be talking about order. But one thing we do know about Jesus is that he's the one who has authority over death. So look at the Bible um, in Psalm 89. David was the last born. Okay? But in Psalm 89 he said, I will make him my first born. I will make him my first born. Of course, God is not going to go back and make David now be born before his brothers. The word firstborn can also mean preeminence. The word prototokos. It can also mean preeminence. Is Are you with me? So the word first does not mean, you know, when God says I am the first and the last, it does not mean I was created first. Then other things. Then I will be the last in creation. No. When he says the word first, the word first is actually talking about um, Existing before things. Principal. That's the word. Principal before all other things. Erasmus explains it this way. In fact, the word firstborn, you know, Erasmus says that the word is actually original begetter. The word first means original. Where we get, like I said, proto, prototype. Before all other things. Right? The word there is original begetter. So when he says, look at this. When he says, who is the image of the invisible God? The firstborn of every creature. What is that punctuation mark after? Huh? Uh-uh. After creature, punctuation mark. No, no, check it. What, is it come in your Bible? It's a colon, exactly. So what that means is that the statement, the next statement is about to explain what he had said prior. So when he said the image of the invisible, the firstborn of every creature, he's now saying, for by him were all things created. So when Erasmus says that he's the, that the word firstborn is actually original begetter, you will, you will understand it. It means that for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, <coughs> visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, they were all created by him and for him. You know, the NWT, that's the new 
uh, world translation, they say, how they write it is, by him were all other things. They add the order there. But it's not all order. It's by him were all things. Look at this. He said all things were created by him and for him. So when you see that, it changes the meaning of firstborn. Firstborn ceases to mean that he was created first. Firstborn means that in creation he is first. Are you with me? So it's not that he was created first. It's that when you talk about creation, he is principal in all of creation. Please, are you with me? He's principal in all of creation. Look at verse 17. And he is before all things. It means that he exists before all things. And by him, all things consist. What this means is all things are held together by the word of his power. Hebrews 1.3. By him, all things are sustained. Even the devil finds life because God is. Uh. Look at verse 18. He said, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Okay? That in all things he might have what? Preeminence. For he pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. So, the word firstborn was actually talking of preeminence, the authority. And if you don't even get all the Greek, just remember that the punctuation mark after is colon, is a colon. It means that the next verse is about to explain what he had been saying prior. Please, are you with me? Another tricky verse, Revelations chapter 3. Revelations chapter 3. In fact, let me not just quote that one I quoted in Psalms. Open your Bible to Psalm 89. Psalm 89, verse 29. No, not, not, um, sorry, my bad. Psalm 89, let's start from verse 26. Let's start from verse 20 so we get the context. Daniel, please, you guys should listen to this explanation, it's important. Look at what he says here. He says, from verse 20, he said, I have found David my servant, and with my holy oil have I what? Anointed him. With whom my hand shall be established, my arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not exact upon him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face, and plague them that hate him. He said, but my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him in my, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. Verse 25. I will set his hand also in the sea and his right hand in the rivers. He shall cry unto me, thou art my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Verse 27. And also I will make him... Are you guys here? Also I will make him what? My firstborn. David was the lastborn. But he said, I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. It means that I will give him preeminence. I will give him an authority. So when he says that he was the firstborn, technically when, you know, Erasmus broke down the word as first, meaning original, born is, it can mean seed or 
womb, something like that. So he's the original one that all other things flow from. That's why he says that by him all things consist. And by him were all things made. Revelations 3. Season. His mercies. Revelation 3.14 Never come to an end They are new every morning New every morning Great is thy faithfulness Oh God Great is thy faithfulness Let's sing it one more time. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They Let me round up with this. Revelation 3. Or depicts God. Please, are you with me? Because the, the Laodicea was not far from Colossae. And the same heresy of the Gnostics, which is like Jesus was in a spiritual body. And, you know, they had some... In fact, just to backtrack a little bit, Prototokos, the word first can also mean source. Source. So, look at Revelation 3.14. Look at Revelation 1.17. Revelation... 21.6 Yes, this is it. He said, and he said unto him, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning. The beginning and the end. The word beginning there is Ake. The word beginning there is Ake. It means that, hmm, let's go back to Revelation 3.14. This thing said the amen, the beginning of all creation. So when he says the beginning of all creation, he's not saying he was created first. He's saying that he is the beginning. He is the first. as part of, So he's not saying all that in terms of he was created first. What he's saying is in terms of, in terms of all of creation, I am before it. I am first when it comes to creation. Please, are you with me? The first lady is not the first woman to be born in that country. Do you get this? He's not talking of order, he's talking of authority. I think that first lady won't clear it up. Revelation 3 14. He said, Say the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of all of creation. The beginning. Um, Revelation 22. Revelation 22 verse 13 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning. Same word, Ake. The beginning and the end. So, Ake, that word basically means that Jesus, if you are going to take it literally, Ake, where we get the word? Jesus is the architect of all of creation. Because the Bible says, by him were all things created. He is the architect of all of creation. He's the architect of all of creation. You know, he was at the beginning when it comes to creation. Then to second to the last verse into the world, he said, Let all the angels walk. Ah. I'm trying to look at a few things. <clears throat> My voice has suffered already. Thank hey God. I'm trying to look at a few things. Um So, something I, I started with that I, I think I want to um, speak to again. One thing you need to know about Christian cults is you guys are using the same vocabulary, but you have different dictionaries. So, you are saying the Holy Spirit. You are thinking of a person, the third person in the Trinity, right? The Spirit of God, but the JW is thinking of a force. Chris, are you with me? You are thinking of a force. Um, you are thinking of death. And you, oh, this dream is beautiful. I are thinking of life after death. But the JW, please, we share the link to platforms, this new one. But the JW is thinking of cessation of life, nothing afterwards. Sleep after death, you know. Um, okay, let me look at this. I, this might be minute, but um, let me just touch this a little bit. This is what the Jehovah's <laughs> Witnesses believe about the virgin birth. You'll be wondering, virgin birth, leave it alone. But they don't agree. Mary was a virgin. When Joseph learned that Mary was going to have a child, he did not want to take her as wife, but God's angel said, that which has been begotten in her is by, is by Holy Spirit. He took Mary, his wife, home, but he had no relations with her until she gave birth to his son. From paradise lost to paradise regained, 122 to 123. Jesus was conceived by sinless, perfect father, Jehovah God. The... First of all, that term that they say Jehovah is the name of God is ludicrous. Because the, maybe I should talk about that before I come back to this. See, that term is ridiculous because in the Old Testament, right, it's not really Jehovah. It's the Tetragamaton. So the name of God was so hallowed that it didn't exact, it was Yod he vod he. That's Y H W H. So whenever the scribes wanted to write such a name, they would go and have their bath, wash their pen, and write it because it was holy. Are you with me? So they wrote it. So if you actually call it Jehovah, Jehivo, there are no vowels in the middle. You can put it how you like. But the Tetragamaton, these were the names of God in the Old Testament. God is not even the name of God. God is not the name of God, right? 
uh, Rapha is not exactly the name of God. Many of the names that they gave God in the Old Testament, actually they named places, those things, not God. So they will experience a victory and they will say, the Lord my banner. Moses, Abraham, the Lord will tell him, go and slaughter your son on the mountain. Um, Moriah, I believe. And then he will go and he wants to slaughter his son. And the Lord will say, don't touch the lad. Look behind you, there's a ram caught in the thicket. And then he will get the ram. And then he will name that uh, ram. He will call the ram, sorry, he will call the place uh, Jaira, meaning the Lord saw to it or the Lord sees. Provides, but the Lord saw to it, the Lord saw, the Lord made it happen, more or less. So, it's what he called the place, not necessarily what he called God. So, they called God out of their experiences. Now, it's not wrong, okay? Because if you say he's healer, he is. If you say, oh, Jairapha, he is healer. If you say Jaira, he is provider. If you see all those things, he is those things. But, in the New Testament, Right, they now substituted everywhere God was God for Jehovah. You, you have to be a crook to do it. More specifically, in the New Testament, when it was mentioned, you see Lord, not Jehovah. But in their Greek translation, of course, is the that's if you are not a criminal, why do you write your own Bible? Use the one everybody is using now. So, so if you and that's why if a Jehovah's Witness comes to me, I'll just open my concordance. Let's talk. So when you use, you, they translated everywhere that was Lord, changed it to Jehovah, and they said they are restoring the old name of the Lord. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And even more specifically, when we come to the New Testament, God is not just addressed as God. God is not addressed as Rapha, Yahweh. All the, God is addressed as Father. It means that all those things in the Old Testament he was is valid, but those things are they, are, they have come home now. They are personal to me. So his father, his provider, his healer is all those things, but he's not just those things, he's those things to me. Are you with me? He's those things to me. So when they say Jehovah, okay, you're a crook. Um, that which has been begotten in her is by the Holy Spirit. He took Mary, his wife, home. He had no relations with her until she gave birth. Two, Jesus was conceived by a sinless, perfect father, Jehovah God. The perfect child, Jesus, did not get human life from the sinner, Adam, but through, but received only a human body through Adam's descendant, Mary. Jesus' life came from the Holy One, from Jehovah God, the Holy One. Jehovah took the perfect life of his only begotten son and transferred it from heaven to the womb of the unmarried girl. Thus, God said, thus God's son was conceived or given a start as a human creature. That's not what the Bible teaches was given a start as a human. It was a miracle under Jehovah's holy power. The child Jesus conceived in this way grew in Mary's womb to the point of birth. Right? Is um, from paradise lost to paradise regained. Verse 3. Jesus' birth on earth was not an incarnation. 
when the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus was born incarnate. You know, Mary, he was basically incarnate in Virgin Mary, but anyway. He said he emptied himself of all things heavenly and spiritual, and God's almighty spirit transferred his son's life down from the womb of the Jewish virgin of David's descent. By this miracle, he was born as a man. He was not a spirit-human hybrid, a man and at the same time a spirit person. He was flesh. It means that he was a man, just a man. And you can't be much more a liar. Verse 4, sorry, number 4. While on earth, Jesus was a human, though a perfect one, because it was God who transferred the life force of Jesus to the womb of Mary. Now, this thing comes from the theologists, you know, I'm just going to talk through this because we, we've addressed a few things on it before. This thing comes from their, their, that their theology that they say that um, uh, God is, you know, God is greater than Jesus, so God, Jesus had a beginning, Jesus was created. The thing is, you see, I think, I don't know if it's Bruce, uh, Metzger or F.F. Bruce that said this. He said, the Bible, if you can, you can trace one end of the Bible to the other end of the Bible. If you tamper with one part, to be consistent, you will tamper with the rest. To be consistent, you would. So, because the Bible is a, see, you know, if you read the Bible carefully, like I said, over 40 different authors in different places, span of 1,500 years, you know, and all that, different occupations, different backgrounds, but yet the same message. For you to, for you to falsify the Bible, you have to be a genius. And I'm not even just talking of how, why I believe the Bible is true. I'm just talking of the, you know, in um, Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He wrote a chapter that talked about the uniqueness of the Bible. The uniqueness alone is a big deal. So for you to, I mean, scientists just go through, I don't know if you've seen all these documentaries that talk about a code through the Bible. You see many things that are too related to be just coincidences. Right? So, Jehovah's are liars, that's what I'm trying to say. He emptied himself of all things heavenly and spiritual and God's almighty spirit. Because what did the Bible, what did the angel tell Mary? He said, the angel simply told Mary. He said, how, Mary said, how shall these things be? He said, the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Right? The power of the highest shall. So it was the Holy Ghost. Mary was made to carry the Son of God. An incarnation happened. God just carried Jesus and put him there. In fact, do you know one thing the virgin birth proves? One thing the virgin birth proves is that God is the author of life. God can make life happen without a natural process. What that shows is that God is the author of life. Hallelujah. And I don't need to talk too much about that, right? Okay. I don't know if I address this one eventually, but I want to talk about this. So I'm going to talk over this now. They said, salvation by grace. Another, what did Jehovah's Witness believe? Or to attain salvation? I don't know. Just put salvation by grace. Whatever it is. But this is what Jehovah's Witness believe. Now, you know, I've taught in a couple of our meetings that, 
You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, it says you are saved by grace through faith. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the what? Gift of God. Nobody is going to go to heaven and say, Phew, I try. You know, because the Bible tells us in Romans 4, it says that um, if, you know, God declared Abraham, God declared Abraham righteous. Abraham believed God. It was counted unto him for righteousness. Right? And God declared Abraham to be so. So, it, um, if it was of works, it would not be said to be a gift. Romans 4. If it was of works, it would not be said to be a gift. If it was of works, it would have been a wage. But because it is a gift, you know, is, then it is not of wage. That's what Abraham said. Right? We understand that as it pertains to salvation, there is nothing you can do that rightly qualifies you for heaven or your merit. Please, are you with me? Because the Bible says our righteousness is like a filthy rag. It means that on your best day, you don't meet up to the holy standard of God. The righteousness that can please God has to be the righteousness that is of the same quality with him. Are you here? The the righteousness that can please God is the righteousness that is of the same quality with God. No righteousness, righteousness that comes by works. Will, you know, the Bible talks about two kinds of righteousness. It said there's the righteousness by works and then there's the righteousness by faith, right? The righteousness by works is the righteousness that comes from your efforts. And that's the one that's like a filthy rag before him. Um, more contextually, culturally put in their time, is like a used menstrual rag before God. But what declares a man righteous like Abraham did, and that's exactly why Abraham is called the father of faith, because he's the one that, if anything, I'll call Abraham, in quotes, the firstborn of faith. Going back to our, um, Colossians 1.15. He's the firstborn of faith. He was the first person to, oh, well, he was the person we clearly see to be declared righteous, by faith. So, salvation. Do we do good works to be... Do we act righteously? Like, behave righteously? Yes. Right? But we behave righteously because we have been made right with God. We behave righteously because we have been made... Right. You, don't, you don't put the cat before the horse. Rather, you cut the horse. Are you with me? So... We behave righteously because we've been made righteous, not to be righteous. We don't behave righteously because we want to be righteous. Are you guys with me, please? Mm -hmm. No this and no peace. But let me read something to you. This is what the JW folks say. Number one, immortality is a reward for faithfulness. It does not come automatically to a human at birth. They said... Um, those people, those people of goodwill today who avail themselves of the provision and who steadfastly abide in this confidence will find Jesus Christ to be their everlasting father. Will find Christ Jesus to be their everlasting father. First of all, you say he's not God. Now you are ridiculous. But anyways. Number three. We have learned that a person could fall away and be judged unfavorably, either now or at the Armageddon, or during the thousand years of Christ's reign, or at the end of the final test, into eternal everlasting destruction. You see, after we die, we are sleeping. Now you see destruction. 
Verse 4. Number 4. Make haste to identify the visible theocratic organization of God that represents the king. That's their own. The king. Jesus Christ. It is essential for life. Doing so, be complete in accepting its every aspect. The Watchtower, October 1, 1967. And number five, to receive eternal life in the earthly paradise, we must identify that organization and serve God as part of it. The Watchtower, February 15, 1983, page 12. Now, this is anti-biblical. And let me tell you guys the truth. Many churches believe this thing too. Like they, we, they don't teach that a man is being made righteous by faith. In some sense, we allude to the fact that it is your works that makes you righteous before God. Just read Romans 4. You'll find that it's not true. But anyways, when we see many of these guys... I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go through things I can rush through because we've talked about it before and then I'll go on. But, you know, I saw two Jehovah's Witnesses in the city center and it came on me. So I stopped. I said, how are you? So I started having conversations with them. And, of course, at the end of the day, they pursue me. <laughs> because they are trained that if you meet somebody who speaks contrary, pursue the person. So, because they don't want to be tainted, because they believe the truth, they would rather walk away than have a conversation. And that's, you know, there's a psychology of cults. The first one is exclusion. That's the first one, exclusion. It's a psychology. One is exclusion. Second one is the language of the barrier. You are saying the same thing, but you don't mean the same things. So, talking to them, and I said, and of course, I usually start with this, so if I have five, because they believe that, and see, why do they evangelize? Why do they do all these things? It's not because they love God. It's because they want to make heaven. Or they want to be, well, they believe the, the 144,000 is, is chosen. So, that I think we'll end with, it's very hilarious scripture. We'll end with it. You know, I assure you, no Jehovah's Witness is part of that 144,000. <laughs> I assure you. You know, it's biblical, though. When I read it, I said, it's back, joking. None. But anyways, where were we? So I told them, if I have five minutes to leave, what will you preach to me? If I have five minutes to leave, what will you preach to me? And he said, well, you know, only God knows, No. I said, no. What did Jesus say? He said, John 3, for God's all of the word I gave is only begotten son that whosoever believes should not perish but have life everlasting. Everlasting life, life everlasting. If you believe, the criteria for everlasting life is believing. So we now started and then I said, well, of course, you know, you, have, you believe, but um, do you believe faith does not have works? I said, of course, faith has works. But works are a product of faith. Works are a proof of faith. Works are not a prerequisite to faith. Is when you believe, you are changed. Look at this, Ephesians 2. It says, 
For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the what? Gift of God. It now says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ what? Unto good works. So we are, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are not saved of works. But now we are his workmanship. So because we are saved, we now do works. Please, do you get this? Because, so works are a product of our faith. Works are a result of our faith. Hallelujah. Works are a result of our faith. So, I told them, what did they say? They just said everything. So, when they finished, they said, all right, have a lovely day. I said, let's talk now. They were bouncing me. I said, let's talk. So, so the, and when I was talking to them, a white guy just came and joined us. So, he, he was listening. Apparently, he was he's born again. He's a Christian. Right? I just believe there are a lot of people in this city who need fire. Let me put it that way. They need fire. That's all. Anyways, so I told him, what would you tell me? Five minutes to die. You can't start telling me to change my ways. You can't start telling me that I should start doing good to outweigh all my bad. They don't have, they are, they are systematic, does not give room for that answer. In fact, if you ask them, how do you know you make a time? They don't know. They don't have an assurance of salvation. But the Bible clearly teaches us hmm, that man is saved by grace. If you put your faith in Jesus, your eternity is secure because the one who saved you is faithful. And how do we access it? Grace. And how do we tap, plug into that grace? Faith. I believe. I put my trust in you for my eternity. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Um, all right, I think I'll enter this one. So I'm going to talk about, just don't write yet, I just want to say the things I'll talk about. I'll talk about what Jehovah's Witnesses believe with the resurrection of Jesus, what they believe in the, um, the um, the existence of hell, you know, Yeah, the existence of hell, uh, the the resurrection of Christ, human government, the existence of hell. I don't know if I want to talk about this. Okay, what they believe about death. I think we've talked a little bit about it. Or maybe I'll touch just a few verses on that. And then this, uh, the kingdom of heaven. That's 144,000. So I'll just take high scriptures. High points on scriptures and scriptures they are likely to use so that we can close on time because I want us to close by 4.30. I want to finish teaching by 4.30. Take questions, pray, and we're done. Cool? All right. So what do they believe about the resurrection of Christ? This firstborn from the dead was raised from the grave, not a human creature but a spirit. You are a joke. Let God be true, page 276. Jehovah God raised him from the dead, not as a human, not as a human son, but as a mighty immortal spirit son. What does that even mean? 
For 40 days, for 40 days after, after that he materialized, as angels before him had done, to show himself alive to his disciples. I'll show you why that is nonsense. I'll show you the scriptures. Verse 3, um, number 3. Jesus did not take his body to, Jesus did not take his human body to heaven to be forever a man in heaven. Had he done so, that would have left him even more lower than the angels. When the Bible says that, the Bible clearly tells us that there is a man in heaven, the man, Jesus Christ. It says, uh, God did not God did not propose for Jesus to be humiliated thus forever by being a fleshy man forever. Sorry, let me read it again. God did not propose for Jesus to be humiliated thus forever by being a fleshy man forever. No, but after he had sacrificed his perfect manhood, God raised him to deathless life as a glorious spirit creature. He's looking like Avatar. Number four, usually they could not have at first tell it was Jesus for he appeared in different bodies. He appeared and disappeared just as angels had done because he was resurrected as a spirit creature. Only because Thomas would not believe did Jesus appear in a body like that in which did Jesus appear in a body like that in which he had died. Verse 5, number 5. Ah. Hence, giving up his flesh for the life of the world, Christ could... Let me read it again. Having given up his flesh for the life of the world, Christ could not take it again and become a man once more. For that basic reason, his return could never be in the human body that he sacrificed once for all time. Blessed be the reading of heresies. <laughs> Sorry, baby, cost me. Let, let us look at what the, the reward of God says, please. Because problem, they, they, well, they're not part of the body of Christ, so I would have said the body of Christ, but they're not part. They deny the bodily, the bodily resurrection of, of Jesus. You know, this is actually Gnosticism. They deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus. <clears throat> Anyways. First Timothy 2 Are you there? First Timothy 2.5. Look at what it says. It says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man. The man. Christ Jesus. Right? The thing is, Jehovah's Witness say, Jesus did not appear in the same form upon which he hung on the cross. He either disappeared... Or he either dissolved into, into gases or his body is kept as a grand memorial of God's love somewhere. Even when you see First Timothy 2, 
that the Bible did not say the grand spirit. Jesus, he said the man, Jesus Christ. John, John 2.21, let me show you something. John 2.21, look at what Jesus said. If I read, let's read from verse 19, John 2 verse 19. Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, 40 and 6 years was this temple in building. And will thou rear it up in three days? Verse 21. But he spoke, but he spake of the temple, what? Of his body. Next verse. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So when Jesus said, destroy this temple, and I will raise it, what is the it? Mm -mm. let's use the same analogy if he said destroy this temple and I'll raise it what is the it? the temple right? it means that the temple is exactly what he will raise again please are you with me? the temple is exactly what Jesus will what? raise again it means that and of course they believe that he spoke of his body it means that the same body that he used to die is the same body he will rise up with not spirit he's not bent John 20. Let's, let's go to verse 24. He said, But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with him when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see, read this carefully, except I shall see in his hands the print of his nails, and put my finger into the print of his nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. 26. And after eight days again, his disciples were with him, and Thomas came with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. And, uh, and then came and said, Peace be unto you. You, know, you now read down. Thomas said, verse 28, I'm going to 28. He said, Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. If I let's read verse 27. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas said, You know, my Lord, my God. Verse 29. And Jesus said unto him, Thou, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet what? believe. I think another translation of this story, Jesus said, I think it was to the apostle said, he said, tell me, a spirit does not have bone and blood. He said, a spirit, let me look for that verse. If anyone finds it before me, let me know. Luke 20, verse yes, Luke 24, 36. Luke, same account, um, same story, different account. Luke 24, verse 36. Look at what it says. Let's start from verse 37. Luke 24, 37. This, after he came in the midst of them and said, peace be unto you, same account. 37. But they were, af they were sorry, same story, different account. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen what? A spirit, a ghost. And he said unto them, why are you troubled? 
And why do thoughts arise in your heart? Behold, my hand and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. In fact, to further prove a point, Jesus ate with them. To show that he rose up in a body. Spirit, the Caspar used to eat. Caspar, the friendly ghost. Caspar is a demon. It's not a friendly ghost. Jesus didn't eat. Uh, sorry, Jesus ate. Caspar doesn't eat. If you see Caspar, say, lose now. Nah. Anywho. So, you have to do a lot of hard work to be a heretic. <laughs> it's a lot of hard work. And stress. Just stay with the Bible. You know, agree. to flog you. So, they said Jesus only of, or, uh, appeared to Thomas for that, but Jesus appeared to the others. He appeared to all of them and he said, handle me. And he ate with them. That one, that eating one, Tell us the last time a spirit ate food. That's the question. Amen to God. Anyways. Ah, there's so many verses. Anyways. Mark 16. You know, they quote, they quote Mark 16 verse 12 to show that Jesus appeared in other bodies. Right? Um, if you read, they quote Mark 16, verse 12, John 20, 14 to 16. You know what? I'm going to have Lloyd read John 20, 14 to 16. I want me to read Mark 16, verse 12. John 20, 14 to 16. Turn it on. Okay, it's on now. Yeah, they, they increase your mind. John 24. Just let him come and preach now, since his mic is louder than my own. Please go on. John 20:14-16. Then she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, Who is it that you are looking for? She thought he was the gardener. So she said to him, If you took him away, he said, Tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned towards him and said in Hebrew, Rabboni, this means teacher. Okay, let me, let me um, Mark 16, 12. Mark 16, 12. After that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. Now, the Jehovah's Witness will quickly use this verse to say that Jesus appeared in other bodies. But, you know, it's the same account. You see it in Luke 24, 16. You know, um, just like when he was going to her mouse, they did not recognize him. Why? Because the Bible says their eyes were kept from recognizing him, but it was Jesus himself. He didn't appear in other bodies or in other forms. Their eyes were kept to recognize him. Amen? Mm -hmm. They use verses like 1 Peter 3.18. Right? Where the Bible says Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the spirit. Put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the spirit. Well, they can use this verse and quickly just jump and say, you see, that's exactly what we were saying. But the Bible does not mean that Jesus was raised as a spirit. 
What that means is Jesus was quickened by the ministry of the Spirit. The same thing that the Bible says in Romans 1.4. Declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection of the dead by the Spirit of holiness. You have to be illiterate to miss that. No, illiterate is not, it's not an insult. It's just that you don't know the Bible. And they don't. Willfully. Anyways, I think I've quoted Luke 24, where Jesus said, Fill me fresh and flesh and bones. In fact, Jesus told them that he was going to resurrect bodily. Bodily. If you really look at that Luke 24, verse 25, they repented of not believing him. Because Jesus rebuked them. They repented of not believing him. All right? Um, Jesus, John 10, 18, he said, I laid down my life, I can pick it up again. He willfully did it. Amen. Like there's a myriad of verses you can use. A myriad of verses. Right? They use, um, they use um, John 20, 26. That one I said that the doors were shut. So how did Jesus enter? It means that it was not his body, it was his spirit. But the Bible, of course, lets us understand the... Um, first, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 and 33. That basically, um, Jesus basically, did, he had a body, but that body was in its glorified state. Immortality was swallowed up at that point by immortality. When we come in the resurrection, I don't know why people say resurrection morning. What if God wants to have breakfast that day? Anyways, people say resurrection morning, but what if it's in the afternoon? But anyways, whenever the resurrection is, if I don't realize there, if I will, <laughs> I will recognize you. Do you get? I will recognize you, even though your body will be of a different quality, but it will still be a body. You won't just be a spirit, is a, but it is a glorified body. Don't know me. Do you get? Um. So yeah, I mean. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, Paul said, if, if Christ is not risen from the dead, our faith is vain. These things have dangerous implications. As a matter of fact, if Jesus is not God, we are still in our sin. Because only eternal blood can pay for eternal sin. So when you are, when they are, when they are doing tiki-taka with the heresy, they don't know the deep implications it can cause. So if Jesus rose as a spirit, that means the promise of the glorified body is a lie because Jesus is the pattern son as well. So as he rose, we will rise. And that's what Paul based 1 Corinthians 15 on. Amen. Um... Okay, I think that that sums it up about the resurrection. Okay, I think I'm, I'm in good time. Let me show you what they believe about the atonement. Angela's family. They said, that which is redeemed or brought back is what was lost. Namely, perfect human life with its right and earthly prospects. Jesus as the glorified high priest by presenting in heaven this redemptive price in its position to relieve the believing ones of Adam's descendants from the inherited disability under which all are born. What is this? 
The human life that Jesus Christ laid down in sacrifice must be exactly equal to that life which Adam forfeited for all of his offsprings. It must be a perfect human life, no more, no less. That is, that is just what Jesus gave for men of all kinds. Verse 4, Jesus, no more and no less than a perfect human being, became a ransom that compensated exactly for what Adam lost. The right to perfect human life on earth, the perfect life Jesus, the perfect life of Jesus was the corresponding ransom required by divine justice, no more, no less. A basic principle even of human justice is that, pri- is that the price paid should fit the wrong committed. So the ransom to be so the ransom to be truly in line with God's justice had to strict had to be strictly an equivalent, a perfect human, the last Adam. Thus, when God sent Jesus to the earth as a ransom, he, he made Jesus to be what would satisfy justice. Not an incarnation, not a God-man, but a perfect man lower than angels. So, when they are talking of the atonement and we are talking of it, we are not saying the same thing. We are basically... Let me, let's just go through what scripture says quickly. Um, Leviticus 17 basically tells us Leviticus 17 11 it says the life of the flesh is in the blood so when Jesus says that he's sacrificing blood when Jesus said he shed his blood he's saying he gave his life okay Hebrews 9 22 corroborates that point without shedding of blood there is no what remission of sins because he gave his life, our sins are forgiven. Glory to God. Right. Um, Jesus gave his life for the sin of the world. You know. I'm coming. So basically, you see many scriptures. Colossians 1.20, 1 Peter 2.24. You know, Jesus giving peace through his blood and whatnot. But let me read a paragraph I copied. He said... Charles Taze Russell, who is the founder of Jehovah's Witness, the OG guy, resigned from a position he once held as assistant editor of a Rochester, New York newspaper, but um, because he disagreed with the editor's view of atonement, right? Um, let me skip some parts and just go through. Witnesses with... Um, hold on. Okay, let me use. Whether Russell was right in his disputation or wrong, we do not know. But his doctrine of the atonement and that of Jehovah's Witnesses, we do have knowledge of and know it to be completely unscriptural. And know it to be un- un- completely unscriptural. Jehovah's Witnesses, Jehovah's Witnesses, we, hey God, Jehovah's Witnesses, we do have knowledge of and know it to be completely unscriptural. I read the same line two times. Jehovah's Witnesses argue that the atonement is not holy of God. Despite 2 Corinthians 5.15. Let's read that. 2 Corinthians 5.15. It says, And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but live for him who did what? Died and rose again. And verse 19, of course, that said, To which God was reconciling all men to himself. Right? They say, But rather half... The atonement, half is of God and half is of man. Are you with me? They believe half of the atonement is of God, half is of man. When Jesus paid the ultimate price. 
He said, Jesus, according to their argument, removed the effect of Adam's sin by sacrifice on Calvary. But the work will not be fully completed until the survivors of Armageddon return to God through free will and become subject to the theocratic rule of Jehovah. For Jehovah's Witnesses, the full realization of the atonement is reconciliation with God, which will be completed in relation to the millennial kingdom. This utterly unreasonable and illogical interpretation of scripture does away with the validity of the infinite atonement unconditionally administered by God and through God for man. Russell and Jehovah's Witness have detracted from the blood of Jesus by allowing it only partial cleansing power. But the truth still stands. It is either all sufficient or insufficient. If the, latter be, if the latter be the case, that's um, insufficient. Man is hopelessly lost in an unconnected maze of irrelevant doctrines which postulate a finite sacrifice and by necessity a finite God. If his sacrifice is limited, he is limited. If his sacrifice is limited, he is limited. Amen. Okay, let me just jump to this one quickly. Jehovah's Witnesses and Human Government. Jehovah's Witnesses and Human Government. Jehovah's... Please, are you here? The stopper is there, sir. Of course, um, let me just even say this. Jehovah's Witness believe that because Jesus did not rise physically, he will not return physically. I'm just going to touch on this quickly. Because he did not rise physically, he will not return physically. Because he rose in a spirit body as Ben 10. <laughs> he will not rise physically. Because he didn't rise physically, he cannot return physically. Right. So, uh, but they believe that when Jesus, when Jesus returned to the temple, when he came back, was in 1914 and cleansed it by 1918, right? Yes, yes, yes. For judgment upon sinful men and Satan's organizations, they affirm that since he did not physically, this did not rise physically, neither will he return physically. Because in John 14, 19, God said, the world seeth me no more. But if you read the context in that John 14, 19, you know that when he said the world seeth me no more, he was talking of his death. Many of these things they believe. Just read the verses before. You know, I am Pastor Amy. My brother-in-law, very soon. We were, I remember I just, I went to the house and he said, Guy Alpha, Jehovah's Witness, the house. I said, maybe go, maybe go. So we just went outside. <laughs> we don't like trouble, I promise. We just went outside. And then as we went outside, we saw them. So the woman was just quoting some things. All we did was, okay, let's start from the first verse. We read the first verse. He had absolutely no correlation with what she was saying. We did it, did it, did it. She now said, but can you not use it to learn? <laughs> she went to Zachariah to quote something. I said, let's read the first verse. It says, to the children of Israel. Why, Nikoroduma? <laughs> you know, um, among many other things. 
See, once you can debunk that they are nonsense on Jesus did not rise physically. This one is a walk, is a walk in the park. If they show you any of their verses, because I want to go through to cardinal doctrines, I'm going to skip through this. If they show you any of, just read the verses before and the verses after. If they tell you the Greek in this, da- download Esword on my sword so you too can have Greek and check. Amen? Amen. Jehovah's Witness, they refuse to pay homage to any human government and yadi yadi. But the Bible clearly says in Romans 13, Paul tells us, he says, let us be subject to higher authorities. He was basically telling us that we should respect the laws of the land. That's what Romans 1 says. Basically, if I'm going to preach Romans 1 now, say, pay your tax. Don't be a thief. Praise the Lord. You shouldn't work more than 20 hours. Hallelujah. Do like you did not hear me. Hallelujah. Very good. Um, that's basically what he meant. That let everyone be subject to higher authorities. Just write that Romans 13, 1 to 7. The Jehovah's Witness refuse to join the army as well. If your, if your nation is under attack, they don't believe in this. They, they play. Defending your nation is defending your nation. That's what it is. Not murder. Amen? Amen. The existence of hell and eternal punishment. This is my favorite. Or my second favorite. I think I was in three years old. This is what they believe in hell. They say those who have been taught by Christendom believe that, believe the God-honoring doctrine of a fiery hell for tormenting conscious human souls eternally. Number two, it is plain that the Bible, that the Bible hell is mankind's common grave. That even an honest little child can understand it, but not the religious theologians. Who is responsible for this God-defaming doctrine of a hell of torment? The promulgator of it is Satan himself. Interesting. His purpose is introducing it His purpose in introducing it has been to frighten the people away from studying the Bible and to make them hate God. Imperfect man does not torture even a mad dog but kills it. And yet the clergyman attributes to God who is love the wicked crime of torturing human creatures merely because he had the misfortune to be born sinners. Number five, the doctrine of a born in hell where the wicked are tortured eternally after death cannot be true, mainly for four reasons. Number one, because it is wholly unscriptural. Number two, it is unreasonable. Number three, it is contrary to God's love. And number four, it is repugnant to justice. Number six, like this is the sixth point now, not it is a lie which the devil has had spread that the souls of the wicked are tormented in hell or a purgatory. What does the Bible say? Rather than cultists. Look at what they say again. If you were to translate a book from a foreign language into English, and there you found the foreign word for bread 65 times, would you translate it 31 times bread, 31 times fish? And three times meat. Of course not. Why? Because if you did, your translation would not be correct. For what, is, for what is bread cannot at the same time be fish or meat or vice versa. 
the same holds the truth, the word Sheol. If Sheol is grave, it is impossible for the same at the same time that there be a fiery, there be a place of fiery torture, and at the same time a pit. All right. All right, let's look at what the Bible says then. The Bible says in death, like I said through scriptures, clearly means a separation. Ezekiel 18, he said, The souls that the soul that sinned, it shall die. Alright? The soul that sinned, it shall die. Um, all men basically sin and die and are separated from God. And that's why the blood of Jesus brought a reconciliation. Are you with me now? The blood of Jesus brought a reconciliation. Please stay with me. You know, many scriptures, we, we talked about the atonement and all that. But look at this. Um, and now, the Jehovah's Witness also believe that when you die, you're conscious, you are gone. Annihilation and all those things. But, you know, the Bible says in Matthew 17, 1 to 3, that Moses and Elijah appeared to Jesus. If Moses was destroyed, who appeared? If, if there's nothing else, because Jehovah's Witness testimony is that after death we sleep. So my question is, what happened to Moses? Is he an exception? And Elijah? Except you want to say it's not really them. You are a bigger thief than I thought. So death is a separation. First, death. When a man dies, his soul is separated, consciousness is separated from his body. Please, are you with me? If you read Genesis, said, and he gave up his breath, he gave up his spirit. You see that used consistently in, um, or he breathed his last in Genesis because you gave up the ghost. A separation happened. I refuse death over anyone here in Jesus' name. So, (laughs) let me read this. Jehovah's Witnesses claim in Let God Be True, page 96, that in all places where hell is translated from the Greek word Gehenna, it means eternal destruction. This is, a, this is indeed a bold-faced and misinterpreta- misinterpretation of the Greek language and certainly ranks next to the a God fallacy in the John 1. So basically what they mean is every time hell is used in the Greek, it does, they say that the word Gehenna, because there are many words for hell in the Old Testament. There's Sheol, there's Gehenna, there's uh, Tartarus, right? And there are two other words, I can't remember. Huh? I think that's one. Then there's another one. There are five. But the word Gehina, they say it means eternal destruction. You are a liar, sir. It's not true. It's not true. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. Mm. Should I start from here? Should I start from here? Should I start from here? Okay, Matthew 5, 22. I'm trying to finish this quickly. Mm-hmm. 
He says, but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, thou shalt shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. The word here is actually um, means hell of fire. Please, are you with me? Please, are you with me? It means hell of fire. That's, that's what the word here means. Okay. Um, hmm. Which one should I use? Sorry, just give me a bit. I'm trying to, I'm a bit tired. I'm trying to f- get a few scriptures. Hmm. Matthew 10 28. When you allude this Matthew 5.22 to Matthew 10.28, right? You see this. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. All these words are what? Gehina. Please stay with me. Stay with me. Right? Um... Then, you now see the words that are used in Isaiah... Uh, no, let's not go to it. Okay, let's just read it. Isaiah 66, 24. Look at what it says here. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of men that have transgressed against me. For their worm shall die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. Now, when the Bible speaks like this, of course, he was talking of a separation. He was talking of those that sinned against God. There was going to be a separation of God and them. That's what the prophet was speaking. So that separation, definitely, this was going to be the result. A judgment that was horrible. Please, are you with me? You guys, we're almost done. You look very tired. Are you with me? Hmm. So, from this, when you read the context alone, you know that the context cannot just mean it cannot just mean death. You are, you are dead and gone. He said, look at Jesus saying, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. So Jesus is basically telling us that there is a death that is worse than the death of the body. It means that if, in the, if the body dies, the body is gone. But there is one that can kill both the body and the soul in hell. The body and the soul, when they die, it means that it is something that is beyond the death that you just shoot somebody and it's gone. Please, are you with me? Hey, see, hell is real. And that's why we will preach. The Bible says, knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. Like that Isaiah 66 I quoted. Isaiah 66, Isaiah said, please, are you with me? Isaiah said, and I quote, he said, those that are separated, their worms shall not die. He was talking of a torture that was worse, that was dangerous. Please, are you here? So, stay on it. And you not think about it, you are like, again, I think about it, knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. Let me tell you something. I was in a situation three weeks ago, ideally, I was not supposed to preach to the person. But, it came in my spirit and I was like, hey God. But I said, 
What's the worst that happened? I'll lose this job. I'll lose this job. What's the worst that happened to him? He'll go to hell. I know hell is not popular in church, but hell. Tell your neighbor hell. Thank you for that uplifting message. It's a real thing. If you have family members you have not preached to, tell your neighbor hell. Okay, you're not saying it now. <laughs> it's real. Is it? Please tell him thank you. Now, look at this. Let me show you. Uh, hold on, let me open this first. Second Thessalonians 1 9. This is him, God speaking. This should give us an idea of what happens in eternal death. What does he mean? Remember, I said death usually will mean separation, right? So when he talks of eternal death, Second Thessalonians 1 9 will help us. He said, Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from? The presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. It means that, of course, when he says everlasting death, it means that there is a separation. But then there is a punishment that is away from doing that is terrible. Please, are you here? Let me just, read, just write these scriptures down so that I can just run through them. Matthew chapter 8 from verse 11 to 12. Look at what it says. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven but the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness and there shall be what? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 8. Let me even let me show you something here. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This means that the people that are not in the kingdom that suffer a separation, there is something they will suffer that will cause them to gnash their teeth. Please, are you here? Matthew 13, 42. And even 50, he says, And shall cast them into the furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 22, 13. He said, Then said the king to the servant, Bind him, of course, this was the parable that Jesus was speaking. Bind him, hand and foot, that had implications. Take him away and cast him into outer darkness. Um, for there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Luke 13, 24 to 28. You know, hold on. I'm trying to see. I'll use one more story. In Luke, in Luke, Jesus tells us the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, a lot of theologians agree eh, that in parables, Jesus never used names. He always said there was a certain man. There was some man. But in this one, he called people's names. Rich man, Lazarus. So people were saying that this is probably an event that happened. That he called people's names. And then the rich man told him, please, send Lazarus. Let him go and tell my brothers. And he said that once there's a great divide, they said they have the law and the prophets. 
So God's opinion has not changed. God does not take people to hell to return them, to give us a message from hell. It's a lie. It's a lie. The word, God's word is still the same. You know, a woman went to hell and came back with a sermon and started calling all Jews that they are all going to hell. She saw them there while they are alive. She saw them there. Then a man of God invited her to his church and said, tell them, preach it to them. She preached it. She now went back to hell for part two. And now came back with this Jew that invited her as part of the people she saw there. The man now started saying she's a liar. It's a lie, oh. She's correct, sir. She must be true. You two are hell, sir. As far as you still have preachers. See, let me tell you guys something, eh? People are ridiculous. It's just like the atheist. The atheist will say, if you tell the atheist how much evidence is enough, the atheist will say, when I see it, I will know. It's the same way people will say, oh, I don't believe in this thing. When will you believe? When I see what will make me believe, I know. But the truth is, evidence is only enough for a mind that is seeking truth. If you are not seeking truth, no amount of evidence will ever be enough. Please, are you guys with me? If you are not seeking truth, no amount of evidence will ever be enough. So, if the word of God has been preached to you constantly, warnings from the word of God has come. And you have refused to hold on to it as true. Uh-uh. You better believe if somebody comes from hell to see, you will not, you will still not believe it. Praise Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. You say you died and went to hell. Then you came back to give us a sermon. Uh -uh, sweetheart. So basically, the verses I've quoted basically show that in separation from God, there is torment. In eternal separation from God, there is torment. And when the Bible says the rich man was in hell suffering, it means that his suffering was eternally conscious. If the Jehovah's Witness, if you present this to them, they will say, oh, it's a parable. We say, no, in parables, Jesus never used names. But in this, he used names. Hallelujah. Elohim, eternal one. Elohim, you never change. Elohim, eternal one. Elohim, We'll still sing. Alright. I hope with these few points of mine, I've been able to convince you and not confuse you that orthodox traditional Christianity is the way not people that have stand. Praise the Lord. So I'm going to take pictures. Those of you watching online, if you want to send in your questions, please send in your questions. Those of us in-house, on ground, if you have questions, please send in your questions and I'll be glad to take your questions. Questions? Give her the man. Those online on YouTube, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the stream, just sending your questions. So a theologian, said, a theologian said something that I will never forget. He said a lot of people say that hell is this. 
is the absence of God. But he put it this way. He said, hell is not the absence of God. Hell is the presence of God in his full wrath. Now, there are places where hell means the grave or the place of the dead. But there are places where hell is definitely used for destruction. Amen. So, um, so I stand with the theologian because hell is the presence of God. Is God being present in his wrath? In the fullness of his wrath? Not God not being present. Or the presence of the devil. Because even the devil is still going to collect. Talk well, talk well. About not receiving blood, like full blood. It is, it's it's nonsense now. Huh? So about the about the blood one, they hinge it on the scripture that says you must not consume blood. Please, let's. We went to school, right? The Bible says uh, that <laughs> the Bible basically says that you should not. Um, when the Bible says you should not consume blood, it was not talking of blood transfusion. It was talking of drinking blood, like eating blood, uh, you know, and things like that. Uh, exactly. You, uh, so that's not exactly what it was talking about, right? So um, if you need blood transfusion, collect or die. <laughs> collect. In fact, I read this, I saw a pathetic story. A man in this cult believes he did not believe in uh, this thing. He did not believe in drug transfusion. His wife gave birth. She was bleeding. She needed blood. He said, no. We are witnesses. We know they collect. She died. He became Catholic. And at the end of the day, you may, you may not blame him. You see, indoctrination is strong. So, yes, please. So I met this, uh, My brother put down for mouth. So I met these uh, Mormon guys at, um, I think that was last week, and they brought out this. Uh, they preached to you, Abby? Yes. No. I you look like them. Go on. Them. No, they can't preach to me. <laughs> so, they brought out pearl of great price. Their book actually, they were trying to give me their book to go and read or something. But like, they brought out this, um, they brought out like, they said there are five steps to get into the straight way that is into heaven. They brought out repentance, baptism, and the Holy Ghost. And they said you need baptism. You didn't ask them what the Holy Ghost is to them. <laughs> Remember what I said? Is the, we are all using the same vocabulary but different dictionaries. You didn't ask them. See, let me tell you one of the scary Mormonic doctrines. Joseph Prince, first of all, is a fraud. They are prophets. Joseph Smith. He's a fraud. Not Joseph Prince. Sorry. Joseph Prince is generally in Singapore. I'm shading him by mistake. Joseph Smith. He's a, he's a hooligan. Somebody that they should lie down and flog 40 strokes. He's a fraud. On each butt cheek. 40-40. He's a fraud. See that guy? He said he found uh, kinder who um, this thing, uh, tablets in the ground plated with 
gold, and then God gave him this thing to read ancient hieroglyphics. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. He said that you have to, don't worry, we'll do a teaching on Mormonism eventually. That you need to be baptized. Please put in your the mouth for those online. <laughs> the main question I'm asking is, what's the, what's the sole purpose of baptism? What is the sole purpose of baptism? Yeah, like, yeah, what's the purpose of baptism? By water, by water, by immersion. That question has many answers, actually. Um, the, you know, hmm, I'm going to answer it like this. I've read historical books, like church history, that basically talk about baptism. The reason for baptism was a public proclamation of your faith. Right? I've read those things. Talk that basically, that was, that's the major reason. The Old Testament. That the reason for baptism was what? That the reason for baptism was the public proclamation of your faith. To basically declare that you are saved. That was basically it. Or some also say it was to typify... It was to typify um, the death, burial, and resurrection we already have with Jesus. So public, public declaration, same thing. But I know they want to say you have to baptize to have the Holy Ghost, have you? Nonsense. What happened in Cornelius' house? Were they baptized? No. They have the Holy Ghost. Yes. And they didn't have the... Now, you don't have the Holy Ghost when you speak in tongues. You have the Holy Ghost when you believe the gospel. Right? So yes. Okay. Uh, please, can you shed light? There is this argument on the agreement of worship day, Sabbath, <laughs> Sunday or not Sunday, celebration of Christmas, birthday. Is that's that's a, like four million questions. So wait, let's take it one by one. Yeah. What day are you to worship? That's Adventists, not Jehovah's okay, Witness. Jehovah Witness. But what day should you worship? It doesn't matter doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. In Dubai, services used to be Fridays. So it doesn't matter. That's number one. Um, about birthdays, they say because in birthday in the Bible, they remove somebody's head. Da, 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 da. So? Yes. But the Bible... Oh, 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 please, guys, I forgot something. The one forty-four thousand. Yeah. Hey. Jesus. Jesus. Please, I will come back to that question. The way. Revelation 7.14. Let me read what they believe on that one first. Uh, yes. They say, who and how many are able to enter it, the kingdom? The revelation limits to 144,000. The number that became a part of the kingdom and stand on the heavenly Mount Zion. In the capacity of priests and kings, they reigned for a thousand years with Christ. He, Christ, went on to prepare a heavenly place. Da, 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 da. You know, that's... So, they believe uh, 144,000 are the people that are going to inherit heaven. This is why I told you I don't believe any Jehovah's Witnesses in that number. 
Revelation 7, 14. He said, hold on. Is it four? Oh, four, my bad. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And they were sealed there, 104,000. And of all the what? And of all the what? Okay. There's, a, there's another verse they use. There's another verse they use. Just hold on. Yes, then Revelations 14, 1 to 3. Revelations 14, 1 to 3. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the mount of Zion, and with a hundred and hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their forehead. And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of the harpers harping with harps. Verse 3. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn the song but the hundred and, the hundred and forty and four thousand which are redeemed from the earth. You know. But let's go back to that Revelation. Let's go back to that Revelation 7 14. Because that's one that was mentioned first. So from there we can know the one seven four. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And they were sealed and hundred and forty and four thousand. Of all the what? Tribes. tribes of the children of Israel. Number seven, verse five. And of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand of the tribe of Reuben. Twelve thousand of the tribe of God. Twelve thousand. All these people that were mentioned, they were of the tribe of Israel. He tells us who they were. Don't say that um, somebody from Ekiti is one of you. Yeah. These people were Israelites. They were Israelites. So the one from 4,000 is not a mystery or a select few that God has chosen in Israelites. Amen. And you can't say they are the only ones who will make heaven. What's wrong with you? Thank you. So they believe that they will be in heaven, but the rest of us will be on the earth, ruling the earth. It's them that will be here. Amen. So your, your question, on birthday, you see, for me, my question on birthday is, the Bible says, the Bible says, uh, teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. There is nothing wrong in us um, celebrating my, your birthdays to give thanks to God, to count your days, to count what you have done with your life and make plans to do better. There's no, it doesn't have to be biblical. Don't, do, you, do you have to know it's it in the Bible to wear school fees, to pay school fees, or to wear your uniform? Right? So it's ridiculous. Then for Christmas, I know a lot of people say Jesus, actually Jesus, Jesus was not born on December, in December. And I think there's um, this thing, birthdays are historically a pagan practice. Right? Um, but for Christmas, they will not say, oh, it's a pagan thingy. Please, let's hear what. Let's eat chicken in peace. Right? But the, the problem is this. I can choose to celebrate the birth of the Son of God in May. But we decided to celebrate it 
in December. Leave us now. Right? And we just give glory to God. As far as we don't really forget that he came to die. The greatest of all Christmas holidays is Easter. Even though that also has pagan origins. But um, the crux of it is the resurrection. The crux of the Christian faith. So even if at Christmas is a time to remember that God sent his son to come in and die for me. is worth celebrating. Then at Easter... We now realize that, oh, the birth that happened in December is now happening. The death have happened in April. So, <laughs> let us give God praise and remember his death. You know, a ministry I know that celebrates Christmas and Easter well is redeemed. RCCG, the Redeemed Christian Church of God. Because at that period, they do let's go uh, fishing. Because that's what the season is for. Amen? What are the, have I answered everything? Any other questions? David, you have a question? Um, Sweet boy. See, I see you. Go on, go on, go on. Um, I'm at your service. Go on. Muslims Allah. Put them for mouth. Muslims Allah. Put it, sir. Muslims Allah. Mm. Ladish Allah help you. <laughs> Muslims Allah. Is it? <laughs> Is it a few Please go on, go on. Muslims Allah, is it, is it the same God that we are serving? No, sir. No. For example, a lot of people say we are serving the same God. It's not. He said Allah does not have sons. He does not beget, neither is he begotten. He does not have sons. Right? He does not cause one to die in the stead of another one. But that's what Jesus did for me. So all religions are superficially the same, but fundamentally different. They say we are all serving the same God. You are Titanic, you are who? We are not. We are serving an idol, a demon. I'm not serving the same God with you. They will say, oh, we believe in Jesus more than Christians. Do you believe? You know, Muslims will come with funny questions. They say, show me somewhere in the Bible where Jesus said, I am God, worship me. And then you start looking for Isaiah 6. They say, no, an unequivocal statement. How to answer that question is, show me a place in the Bible where Jesus said, I am not God. I am a prophet, don't worship me. That's it. They are just being ridiculous. Just the same way Jehovah's Witnesses say, when God is in heaven, God is omnipresent and can be everywhere at the same time. Leave him alone. So, I don't think we have any questions online. It's like this online audience, they are very intelligent, no more than me. Any other questions? Ah. Any other questions, anybody? Who? Online? Let me see. I can't see it for some reason. Is it the one that is retracted? Do we? Does the Quran say contrary to the Bible or the Muslims have just decided to live the wrong way? The Quran is contrary to the Bible, yes. I just said a few things. The Quran is very contrary. The Quran is anti-Bible. Even though it still affirms the Bible's word. Yeah. Islam is a political ideology. I'm risking my YouTube channel by saying this. Islam is a political ideology. It's what it is, yeah. That's why 150 years after Muhammad died, there were consistent jihads. 
150 years. So they say it's a religion of peace. It's a lie. They're either ignorant or lying. Peace, Bible. 150 years after Muhammad died, there were consistent wars. Talk for another day. Any other questions? Yes, please. Uh, on that, just that last statement, uh, one critique that they use Um, on that last um, the thing about Islam, like us, it's something that we Christians say that Islam is a religion of war. But one thing that they always use as a critic is the Crusades. Is the Crusades? Yeah. Somebody said, please, Pastor didn't explain the select number that will go. I did, I did. Emmanuel Ugoji, I did. Um, the Crusades. Yeah. Well, Hitler too said he was raised, and they used Hitler too, that Hitler was raised Catholic. So how come it's ridiculous? You're just being silly. Right? Anybody can use anything as a tool. But it doesn't mean that that is what it stood for. Are you with me? So if you want to find out what Christianity is, check what Jesus preached. Check what the apostles preached. The crusades, they used religion as a tool. But at the core of Islam is war. It says... It says, what did he says, what did he call, what does in Arabic, what, is a, what are infidels called? Kafir, yes. They call those who are not believers, who are not Muslim, kafir. Right? He says, slaughter them or put them under tribute. Slaughter them or put them under tribute. That's, that's the teaching. But Jesus didn't say that. They will now come to where Jesus said, I did not come to bring a... This thing, but I came to bring a sword. Is context. Are you in a con man like your prophet? Is context. When he said, come, uh, what did I just say now? When he said, um, I've come to bring the sword, he was basically saying that the message of the gospel was definitely going to bring division. People are not going to accept the message. People are going to, in fact, he said, people are going to kill you thinking they are doing me service but at the crux of Islam. In, for example, Christianity, if you blaspheme Christianity, we are not told to kill you. I, there's a boy I went to secondary school with. When that lady in Kaduna happened, I tweeted, I said, any religion that kills people for blasphemy is a terrorist syndicate. And he came and he said, no, stop this thing, he said, I feel bad that she died, but if, she, I don't believe she should be killed, but if she blasphemed, she should have been, I support her being killed. I said, this boy, that me and you played football together. I just made a mental note, I'm not going to go to, let's go and hang out with any of these people, before I go missing. The self-preservation. Because I knew this person, we grew, we played football together, we bantered about things, I know this guy. But you are telling me, so I, now, I texted him, I said, bro, that means if it was me that did the same, this is what you would say. Mm -hmm. no. In Islam, if a family member turns back, they should be killed. It is in the Quran. They should be killed. I have a friend, he's one of my, he's, he's close, me and him banter intellectually, I love him so much. He's one of the most intelligent people I know, right? He said he was a Muslim, 
He's a tongue-talking child of God. He's smart. Right? The first time we will see is when we go to Lagos, but we talk almost all the time. Now, he said that, of course, when he got saved, his family was a little mom, but his mom still is not settled with it. He has a friend that the person changed to be a Christian. The father came into his room with a cutlass. The guy had to jump through the window and escape. In conk Islamic homes, Nadishoks be that. If you change, you are killed. Hi, Pastor. Adia, no, 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 no. Please don't just write, he quoted from Revelation 7 14. Write what I said about it. Hi, Pastor. Are there any other material or references outside the Bible that validates the Bible or validates the events of the Bible? Yes, there are really good um, apologetics book, books by uh, Habermas. Is it Greg Habermas? I can't remember his name. But Habermas, he's an authority in the New Testament. Right? He writes materials that validates the New Testament. He has a book on Jesus. It's a 5,000-page document. Right? If at the end you are not convinced, I can't help you. So, yes, 5,000. Um, Krakina has a book, 1,300. It's on miracles. So those are theological materials. Not winning your life tomorrow. No. He said, so yes, they actually re- look for book, people like uh, Krakina. Look for people like um, Greg. Is he? Look for his name. Type Habermans for me. Habermans. Like you see, Habermans New Testament scholar. Try to remember his first name. Look for people like uh, Dr. Frank Turek, Frank Turek, Sean McDowell, Josh McDowell. Um, you know, these are these are apologies that give a defense for the Christian faith, right? You'll be able to see they have materials. The um, the Bible is backed up. Gary Habermans, yes, Gary Habermans. Um, um, there's this other guy who was a, I mean, C.S. Lewis. There's this other. There's this other guy who was a police detective, Jay Warner Wallace. Lee Strobel, too. Jay Warner Wallace. These are guys who they have a lot to say on these topics, right? So, um, so the, there are materials that actually validate the Bible archaeologically and all those things. So look for them. Okay. Uh, for instance, when trying to use the first man as Adam, they argue and say, How do we know it's true? outside of the Bible. So the Bible does not make Christianity true. The Bible does not make Christianity true. Without the Bible, Christianity will be true. Christianity hinges on the fact that Jesus died, was buried and rose again. Simple. So if that's, if Jesus died, was buried and rose again, then Christianity is true. Alright. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we love you. Thank you because your word is light unto our feet. Your word is light unto our feet and lamp unto our path. The eyes of our understanding has been flooded with light. We see ourselves in you, even as you see us in you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I trust you were blessed by the teaching of God's word. Nelson Mihalwan Ministries is a mandate that seeks to see men saved, trained, and sent. For more ministry content, visit us at t.me forward slash Nelson Mihalwan. And for contact details, follow on Instagram at Nelson Mihalwan. God bless you.